Hello, you're listening to Hear This Idea, and in this episode, we spoke with Michael Ed on reducing existential risk from advanced AI. Michael is a senior research manager at Rethink Priorities, where he co-leads the uh, rapidly growing artificial intelligence governance and strategy team alongside Amanda Aldecatni. Now, you might recognize Michael from an episode we did last year on how to do impact-driven research. Apparently, nearly four hours of Michael Ed content wasn't enough for us. Uh, I do think that episode, which is episode 52, complements this one, but also you don't need to have listened to it before hearing this. So this time, we begin by talking about the basic case for focusing on reducing existential risk from advanced AI. So why I think the risk is serious, why I think there are ways to move the needle on it at all, and also what that work can look like in practice. Uh, and then we talk about just how to form a plan about what needs to be done to get to an acceptable place with AI risk and different framings that can help with that. So thinking in terms of threat models, thinking in terms of theories of victory. We also talk about intermediate goals in AI governance, which are like goals on the level of specificity of things like getting better at monitoring large compute clusters globally or uh, increasing government spending on security features in AI chips. And we got to hear the results of a recent survey on those goals, which Michael helped coordinate. We also talked about just advice for usefully contributing to efforts to reduce existential risk from AI, which kinds of work seem overrated and underrated, and also just practically how to get involved with these things. That plus many more subtopics, which I haven't mentioned, uh, since, as you might have noticed, this episode is about three and a half hours long. One final thing, at the time of recording, Rethink Priorities are currently hiring for a compute governance researcher or research assistant, and you listeners should consider applying. So here's why. Um, important compute-related policy windows for reducing AI risk are either open now or likely to open soon. Also, Rethink's compute governance work is in demand from decision makers at key institutions right now. And the team is unusually impact focused and able to just work on whatever actually seems most impactful at a given time. And lastly, Rethink sounds like a generally lovely place to work. So the first stage of the application process should take just an hour or so. The deadline is the 11th of June, and we'll link to the job ads in the show notes and on our website. Okay, without further ado, here's Michael Ed. All right, Michael Ed, thanks for joining us for a second time. Yeah, thanks for having me. And yeah, I'm happy to be on a second time. I uh, I heard recently the Jaime Sevilla episode where you said um, he was your first return was, guest. Yeah. And I, I just missed it. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty annoyed at you for that. So there'll be an undertone of anger right. through the episode. But <laughs> moving on. Um, You've yeah. got the, the, the shortest gap, I think, shortest between gap. any guests. Okay, I'm going to, yeah, I'll parents. tell him yeah. that. Um, <laughs> Okay, so last time you spoke to us, we mostly talked about something like how to do impact-oriented research in general and how to eventually get good at it. And now the plan is to focus on a cause area that people could direct that research towards, uh, and that is uh, reducing existential risks from advanced AI. But... Um, maybe a question to just start off with is, can you just tell us about some things that you and your team are just looking into right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so my team is about eight people. And then like there's some people doing kind of associated work. 
Um, so I'll try to keep it decently brief or choose a random snapshot or something. Um, but some work we've either done or are doing or are just about to do um, includes, uh, it's pretty disparate. One thing was we had a researcher, Ben Cotier, who looked into um, the diffusion of uh, large language models and related, he called them artifacts. So like mm -hmm. things that are helpful for developing large language models. So when someone makes an advance in the in in this particular area of AI, how quickly do other actors also make that advance? Mm. And by what mechanisms? Uh, and what can sl what slows them down and what could slow them down? And this is relevant to um like pace of AI progress and like how much it will how much proliferation there'll be and like how many actors will be at the frontier. Another project that we have is just like actually trying to put a bunch of concrete policy ideas that might be helpful for AI risk mm -hmm. and might be implementable by the US government in the next five to ten years into one database. Um mm -hmm. Which to me sounds like something that is kind of weird hasn't been done. Mm. Um, it seems like, well, if, if you want to do policy stuff, like let's just like write down all the options somewhere. Um, but this hasn't been done. The field is like small enough that like no mm. one had gotten to it. Um, and so, yeah, we're getting to it. Um, another thing is we organized a conference or retreat of uh, like, like a summit type thing mm -hmm. of people working in the AI strategy space, either as researchers or practitioners to discuss things like theories of victory and intermediate goals, this, all this juicy jargon that we'll get to later. Um, we have someone looking into like uh, export controls, um, like what will be the effects of the recent export controls that the US did on China. And we have people looking into like, what is the suite of actions that labs could take to reduce risks from AI um, that they plausibly could be convinced to take relatively soon and could be really good and trying to like package this in a nice um, presentable format that then can be shared with these people cool. and hopefully influence them, among many other things. Cool, that all sounds extremely interesting. I think a natural place to begin before we talk about how to start working on this thing is to understand the case for focusing on it in the first place. So there are lots of scary problems in the world. Why zoom in on reducing existential risk from AI? Yeah, so I think it's a great question of like why to focus on AI risk. People like one, one should have to make a case. Um, one thing I'll say first is that I don't think everyone should. I think there's like other issues that are about as valuable on the margin, such as um, existential bio risk, um, although not many. I do think it's like a decently narrow set. I do think this is like in the top five or so things. Mm -hmm. um, and also I should mention that I didn't start out caring about this. I sort of like got into caring about impact and others via things like um, malaria and like extreme poverty and diseases and stuff. And then like gradually um, evolved my thinking towards thinking, yes, okay, I guess I should do this. So why I did that, um, the, the basic, here's like a sort of bullet point sketch of like why one might care about AI risk or why I argue people should. Um, I won't properly justify any of these claims. I'll like point to some sources and just like say some things. Yeah. Um, but so firstly, uh, I would claim that like very, very advanced big deal AI seems very likely possible. Uh, there's a variety of terms you could use that are more specific than very, very advanced big deal AI, but that's sort of really the thing. It's like some sort of AI system that is like powerful enough to have, like like capable enough to have huge impacts on the world. Okay. What what kinds of huge impact? I mean, you know, lots of people are talking about ChatGPT. That's pretty yeah. huge, right? Uh, that that is that is actually kind of big, but like not the scale I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm. Um, it is possible that like really, really, really clever use of ChatGPT from like uh like 300 million people who have all gotten used to it or something. Maybe that could be a big enough deal. I don't know, but I don't think that's going to happen. People take a long time to get used to a tech. So I'm talking like what I have in mind is something um, 
for example, um, Holden Karnofsky writes about, uh, he calls it pasta for some reason. It's like mm. process for automating science and technology, A, uh, <laughs> advancement maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and yeah, so like imagine an AI system that is like more, like it, it's like as skilled as the most skilled researchers and it can do R&D like any given researcher can and right. you've trained it. And now, now that you've trained it, training takes way more um, hardware and compute than running a, a single like instance. So you can imagine like, training it to be as good as like a human or something mm -hmm. um, takes as, like way more than it takes to sort of run it for a day of thinking like a human. This is very roughly speaking. Yeah. So now that you've got that, you've got like a crap load of scientists, basically. Um, that's like one sort of kind of lower bound, perhaps, um, yeah. that could be a super big deal. Sometimes people sometimes use a transformative artificial intelligence, which means like as impactful on the world or more than the Industrial Revolution, mm -hmm. um, which very, very few things have been. It's sort of like the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, that's kind of it. Yep. Um, and, but it can be more as well. And that can include everyone dies. Like that's one way to have as big a deal as the industrial revolution. Another term people sometimes use is AGI. So like artificial general intelligence, basically as good as humans at everything or better at some or many things. So to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly, the key metric or benchmark here is AI coming up with ideas in this sciency flavor and this impacting either economic progress or research more broadly? I, I want, for now, I want to kind of remain agnostic as to like how it will actually happen. Mm -hmm. And I want to be like, that's one example of how you could have a super big deal AI. Got it. Um, I, I think it's possible you could have like something as good as the best scientists and it not be a super big deal. But I would guess once you have that, it's going to be a super big deal. And like now that there's both like amazing benefits available and amazing, like huge dangers. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of other ways. Like you could have something that's just really, really, really good at hacking. Uh, mm -hmm. And it could do, and again, you can run like insane amounts of them once you've got it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's like a lot of big deal things that could happen. Um, then, so I, first I'm claiming like it's just possible to have AI at that level. Yep. And I'm not going to properly justify that, but I think just like, I don't know why it wouldn't be. One, one brief case is like humans are at that level, like humans did the industrial revolution, they, 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 they manage that impactfulness. Um, they're an arrangement of atoms. We, I, I'm one sure. of, I, I'm, yeah. not a, I'm not an AI. <laughs> nearly that. <laughs> uh, you nearly got me. Uh, yeah, so, so we um, are just arrangements of atoms. Um, I, I don't really see why there'd be literally no other way of arranging atoms. Um, yeah, and I, I don't really see why it has to be like biological and fleshy. I guess a similar example is people couldn't figure out how to make powered flight happen, mm -hmm. but they had a pretty good idea that it was possible because there were things flying around called birds, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also uh, there is like getting a, there's a brief tangent, but um, it's also worth noting that that doesn't mean the way planes work will be like how birds work. Yes. Yeah. So, so we shouldn't assume and that. In fact, like, they're not. Yeah, yeah they, they, they very much aren't. Yeah, um, uh, yeah so it, 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 it's, it's possible to like get to that level with like simpler or different mechanisms. Because uh, the one thing we have an advantage over evolution is like we are, we are intelligent designers. Like we, we, can, we can like see ahead and be creative and stuff. Um, but anyway, so first claim is just really, really big deal AI seems very likely possible. Then it's not just like some hypothetical sci-fi thing. Uh, it's not here now. It, it, GPT-4 does not count, though it is it's like somewhat of a big deal. It's like impressive and scary. Um, but also multiple groups are actively trying to do really, really big deal AI. Um, in, that probably the most notable single one is OpenAI, which, which did chat GPT and GPT-4. Um, and the other GPTs. Mm -hmm. um, 
But uh, two other big deal ones are um, DeepMind and Anthropic. Um, these these each see themselves as like aiming towards AGI. So they're not just seeing themselves as aiming towards advances in AI. That they're like aiming at something as good as humans, it, it, something like that. Um, there's also obviously many other AI labs and big tech companies. So there's multiple groups who are actively trying to do this, who are well-resourced, who are skilled, who've done other impressive tech, tech mm. things and moved faster than many would have expected. Right. Mm. Do you know how much governments count here as being groups that we know are actively working towards this thing? I know that often US and China gets brought up, but I'm curious mm. if there's like governments there as well. Yeah. Um, so governments are really relevant actors that one should pay attention to. Uh, but I don't think my understanding is that they are like like not they're not players in building it themselves really in any significant way at the moment. Mm. Um, this could change. Um, I would personally like it to not change. Um, it, it's plausible. It would be great if there's a government lab that's working really intensely on the safety piece specifically. Like they're working specifically on ways to make sure that like if and when you have a given system, it is safe and we can understand it and things like that. Um, but I don't think I want government labs that are like actually building it for various reasons. I, one thing is I just don't want any new lab involved, really. <laughs> yeah. I think. Um, but yeah, I'm slightly more wary of it being a government one. We we can talk about that later if you want. Um, but yeah, one could argue like maybe there's something in secret or whatever. I don't think there is. Um, there definitely are government labs working on specific things. Like like I I I've, I haven't looked into details, but like I would imagine there's ones that are using like cutting edge or like probably a few steps behind cutting edge for specific applications in like military logistics or um, various things like that. Right. So then the key role of governments is regulation, subsidies, how they intersect with the labs that you described previously. Lots of roles. I mean, just governments do a crap load of stuff and like- mm. uh, Citation like, needers. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to, we'll, we'll get more into this later. But like my take is just like, this This is like I, this AI thing, quote unquote, yeah. is like, I think the biggest story going on this century and I think people are increasingly realizing it and they will increasingly realize it. Most people don't really realize it or they kind of realize it, but it's not salient. And then the next day they go back to reading whatever has popped up on the news. Mm. Um, and it involves like so many actors and so many like ways it's going to like, um, like its tentacles will stretch into the world. And so the range of things that are relevant are like, yeah, regulations, um, funding, uh, like how the military tries to apply things, how like um, government mm. funding, government science funding bodies try to apply things, like disinformation campaigns, uh, how, how you do like education nowadays. Some of these I don't think are in themselves very important, but um, the way they might like wake up or influence governments and then governments do other things. Yeah, mm. there's a lot going on. Okay, yeah. but so we have two claims. The first yeah. one is that <laughs> huge deal AI, you might call it AGI or something else, looks more or less possible, yeah. feasible. And the second claim is that there are, in fact, groups, yeah. well-capitalized, seemingly pretty skilled groups, explicitly focused on getting to this thing, and they've mm -hmm. made a decent amount of progress so far. That's yeah. where we are. Right? Yeah. I, yeah, I have in mind like five one-sentence bullets, um, sure. and I, I, I claim that it is partly your fault that I'm expanding on them in detail, but it's interesting, <laughs> so that's fault, fine. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm, I'm happy to point fingers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, third claim is like not just so pos it's possible to do it, I claim, and multiple groups are actively trying and are making progress. And I think sooner or later, one of these groups will probably succeed. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just like a hypothetical thing that could maybe happen one day, but I think it will happen. Um, I think the single biggest reason it wouldn't is like if something else super, super awful happens first, right. like existential bio risk, 
um, which I think is unfortunately plausible. So it's plausible we never get to AGI right. for another bad reason. Yeah. Um, but like in any, in, I think oh, another thing I would add is like in any really good future, I think we do get AGI. I do think I want us to eventually get it, mm. but I don't think we're, we should be in a rush. Um, claim four is not just someday, but I think it's plausible that this really big deal thing that's like as big a deal as the Industrial Revolution was or bigger and is like the most important thing that's happened in any of our lifetimes and maybe for the whole future happens in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I think it's likely in the next 50. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like intense. Yeah. <laughs> like if true. That's uh, also, big if true. I can imagine that raising eyebrows. Yeah. I mean, why might you think that? So yeah, one, I, I, I want to, I, I will not adequately justify this. And I want to like flag that like listeners shouldn't, I'm not claiming listeners should feel convinced by what I say, sure. but I want to note that that's in both directions. So people might think actually like, oh, you're just saying plausible in 10 and likely in 50, like you're really underselling it. And I think that's, yeah, I, I also think like sooner is also plausible. Um, but in any case, the yeah, there's a few justifications. Um, mostly I'll point to some existing sources. So we, we can put these in the show notes or whatever. Um, and yeah, one is like there was a literature review of um, th there's been a bunch of research on transformative AI timelines or AGI timelines or various things like that. Um, this is like a very hard thing to research. And so everything is very uncertain. This is why I'm just saying was well, like plausible and likely. My, my, my personal best guess is like roughly 50% chance by 2040. Mm. Um, but like with a big spread on both sides. Mm. Uh, like I, I wouldn't be shocked if it happens in five years. I wouldn't be shocked if it happens in 120. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but there's been a, there has been a bunch of research. It seems to have like decent validity. There was like a recent literature review that tried to compile a whole bunch of it, put, put weights on different things, like try to like check how good the methods are and stuff. And this landed on numbers kind of like what I'm giving. And um, it was done by the organization Epoch. Um, and yeah, really nice detail on like what sources they're drawing from, why they put the weights on each source that they did and like yeah. what that amounts to mm. and a bunch of different methods. So people have tried things like looking at how much uh, like sort of quote unquote, how much compute evolution used, mm. like how many... Um, yeah, I won't try to explain what that means. Sure. <laughs> but like, this is the bioanchors yeah. report. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, there was like that, um, and people can like read that if they want. That there's things that are trying to be like, just there's something called the semi-informative priors report, which is just trying to be like, basically, how long have we been trying, um, and have we succeeded yet? And I think there's like one other parameter. Um, so it's trying to be like very like outside view, like looking from a bird's eye perspective, not not trying to like be based on like um, specific beliefs. There's also time like there's also people trying to like look at benchmarks and trends of like how how capable are these things getting and how rapidly. Um, there's also surveys of experts both in the AI risk community and in the just general ML community. And I think so people who've been skeptical so far um, maybe would want to be convinced at least by this, uh, which is like mainstream ML experts when surveyed uh, seem to say there's about a 50% chance by about 2060. It's pretty hard, and, and this is like a big survey. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, it was like hard to aggregate their forecast. So it's like quite, these results are questionable, but they seem to be saying about 2060. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I and a colleague of mine ran a survey of AI risk people, um, they, they said a 50% of like roughly 2042. Um, everything, you know, everything needs a lot of caveats. Um, but yeah, I claim plausible. Nice. It seems to me like one thing we might be interested to do here is not so much pin down exactly the right median date for some threshold but more or less to rule out being totally confident that this thing won't come along yeah. in the next let's say 50 years 
Yeah, I think that's roughly true. So I think for the purpose of this conversation, or at least so far in the conversation, basically it's like, basically what we're aiming at here is, should people see it as plausible that they should focus their careers on AI risk? Mm. And for that, I do think the it just needs to be like, there's a significantly higher chance um, that everyone dies from this or something about as bad happens than the chance that you get into a car crash. And the chance you get into a car crash is enough to wear a seatbelt. The chance that like the whole world gets into a car crash could like warrant like you spending a career on this. Yeah. Um, I do think when you're actually in the field, um, and again, it doesn't mean that you definitely should work on this. Maybe you should also do buy risk or whatever. When you're actually in the field though, um, more details than like mm. 50, like median 50 years or median 2040 do matter. They, they do make a difference to certain interventions. Um, also, I would flag that like, uh, this this body of evidence does lead to a bunch of different answers. So it's not like everything is 2040. Um, yeah, yeah. It does kind of feel like it averages to about 2040. And so I believe kind of like 2040 is the 50% yeah. chance. Um, but it does say a bunch of different things. And this leaves open totally the possibility that it's like more than 100 years. But I do think it would be really weird for someone to be confident, at least without reading the things I mentioned, for someone to be confident that it's, that it's more than 100 years away and like confident enough that they're like, I definitely shouldn't spend any attention on this. Yeah. Everything is fine. I mean, like another like intuition pump or something is just like, just look at GPT-4. That's not the thing I'm talking about. It's not at the level I'm talking about, but it can do pretty weird things. <laughs> and like, if, if, if you like look at how good GPT-4 is and try, well, I don't know if you haven't, if you, the listener, if you haven't checked GPT-4, first try to imagine what you think it would be capable of or like what you think an AI system today would be capable of and then watch some demos. Um, and then maybe notice like, okay, yeah, I can imagine this being kind of close to human in some important ways. Mm. Without getting to specific interventions, as you say, I think there is maybe also an important asymmetry to flag in which shorter timelines are also a bunch more worrying than longer timelines are in the sense that even if you only put a smaller probability, let's say that something like AGI happens in the next 20 years, those 20 years are also you know, the exact time horizon where the world would be much less prepared for it than yeah. if something happened in 120 or even more. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we should, um, so that there's two things there. One is like expected value, uh, like multiply probability by consequences and stuff. And just like a 1% chance of everybody dies from AI could be enough to spend a lot of energy on it. Um, that's one thing. Another thing is like when you are working on it, like should you quote unquote overweight short timelines? And I think you should. Um, not like massively, but so I do something kind of like acting as if there's a 50% chance by 2030 because my career matters more in quote unquote shorter timeline worlds for various reasons. Um, in brief, it's sort of like those worlds are more, ne more neglected. There's fewer people who can help with them because there's less time. Um, and also they're probably riskier because like just in general society getting ready for this will happen less, not just like the number of focused people working on yeah. it. It's quite a nice point in general that like if you're uncertain what world you're in, then if it looks like one of those worlds is a world in which you have much more influence than the other, mm -hmm. then in some loosely speaking sense, you should act as if you're in the world where you have more influence or you should overweight that world um, just on EV terms because that's why you can do the most things. Yeah. Um, so a non-AI specific point. Yeah. Um, but okay, so we have, we're talking about the case for worrying about yeah. AI X risk starting with the claim that it's possible. Also, people are working towards it. Yeah. Also, it seems like not only is it possible, but it kind of seems like pretty plausible um, within something like 10 years and likely within 50 years. Um, that's where we are. Is there anything else to say? Yes, one final bullet. Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then we're done with this chunk. That'll be exciting. <laughs> Excellent. Um, 
finally, this is this this is also you know you sh you can be skeptical from just what I will say. Um, I believe the existentially catastrophic accident, misuse, or other consequences seems plausible uh, if and when we get these systems, uh, especially if it's like within a few decades rather than within centuries. Mm -hmm. And that the easiest path to really, really big deal AI seems to be unsafe. So like the easiest way of achieving this thing that multiple groups are actively working to achieve and that does bring big economic and um, mm -hmm. various other benefits and will be incentivized to achieve it. I think the easiest way of getting there seems to be unsafe, like really unsafe, um, as in everything goes awfully if you don't put it in safeguards or like probably everything goes awfully if you don't put it in safeguards. That doesn't mean we're doomed at all. Because uh, there's a good chance safeguards will be put in, um, either just like by default, because companies are like, well, I don't want to die, um, or because like people like me, and there's other people else, um, <laughs> not, not <Dozens>. just me. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, unfortunately, there's about 100 um, or like 400ish. <laughs> um, will yeah, work on that. So we we could be okay, but like we need we need to do something. Like it's not like we just like get lucky. Um, I claim. Can, can you spell out a bit more with what you mean by easiest path? In my mind, what I'm kind of imagining is something like ChatGPT, but for a more computer. Is that roughly right? Um, to a decent extent, yeah. Uh, I, so so um, one thing I'll flag is that I am not a technical AI expert. Um, it's also debatable whether I'm even an AI governance expert because AI governance is like a huge field. Um, there's so much to it. So like, I'm pretty generalist, so I know like a little bit about loads. Uh, but not really deep on anything. So I don't know if I'll explain this properly, but there's a really great post in my, I think it's, it seems really great to me mm. um, by Ajay Akotra called uh, Without Specific Countermeasures, The Easiest Path to Transformative AI Likely Leads to AI Takeover. I think this articulates the case quite well. My like attempted recollection of it is basically like, um, if, you, if your goal is get something that is uh, about as good as humans across a bunch of economically profitable tasks, mm -hmm. then, what you can do is uh, train it in a similar way to what we've done with the GPTs, um, where you just have like a lot, uh, like you you just train a really big model with a lot of compute and a lot of data, and you give it like feedback on how it's doing um, to try to like steer it towards um, the the right like uh, actions. I think it's, it's yeah. Um, then it could be really unsafe by default for reasons including that. Um, at the final stage, it's being tra trained in a sort of reinforcement learning way from human feedback. And that means that if the human thinks it's doing a good job versus a bad job, like a good answer versus a bad answer, the human will reward the good answer. Sometimes the humans are wrong. Um, and so the AI could be incentivized to be deceptive, to like sometimes tell the, like eventually it realizes once it's smart enough and you want it to be smart because mm -hmm. you want to do the economically profitable things. Once it's smart enough to sort of understand the situation it's in, once it's situationally aware, and it's like, I am an AI system, I'm on these computers, I have these humans um, like training me, uh, it will then sometimes notice like, oh, well, Finn thinks the correct answer is X. Um, I know the correct answer is Y. Finn doesn't like it if I say Y. I, I can't convince Finn on this point. Finn's very stubborn and rigid. Um, and, uh, so I'm going to tell Finn X. And then Finn's like, oh, great. And so now you've trained a system to like... Uh, undermine and deceive you basically and that doesn't seem great yeah and i mean maybe just to try saying that back when you're doing this thing which is um giving human feedback to a system which is or is soon to become um to outclass you in various ways mm -hmm. including being pretty good at deceiving you then it's quite hard to figure out how to um 
incentivize the thing you in some sense just want it to do which is be well behaved yeah. and match what i have in mind without also incentivizing or in some sense accidentally training it to just deceive me that it's doing the right yeah. things and then if it's reasoning that the thing in some sense in hand wavy terms it ultimately wants is to do those things which would have got the most um uh reward during training well that includes things like massive deception and takeover specifically because uh because sometimes you'll hold it back from doing whatever the thing that gets the most reward is. Mm. Uh, and so the, the single best way for it to avoid that is takeover. And I think it's, it's worth, so an issue, so th this can all sound like there is this AI that has like evil and malevolence yeah. in it. Um, and, and this is like assuming some sort of consciousness or a soul or something like that. Yeah. That's like super, I claim that's like really not what's going on here. I think we can say it in like very mechanistic terms. Yes. So like deceive yeah. sounds very loaded, but maybe the better way of saying it is like it predicts that it correctly predicts that if it says x um it will be i don't know which one i said before but like if it says like bacon um then it will uh be like given negative reward and be, be told like that is incorrect um and if it says like omelets then it'll be told like yes correct good job um it also knows that omelets is the correct answer uh and so now it starts to predict that like sometimes what will, what will get reward is not saying the correct answer but rather like spending some cognitive energy on figuring out what Finn thinks is correct and what Finn will reward. Um, so that doesn't require any sort of evil or anything. It doesn't require any, any like emotions involved. It's just simply, it, it's the same as like predicting that like um, this tree is where the apples grow uh, or predicting like if I reach my hand into this box, sometimes there's toys in there or something. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a nice point that some people might read stories like these, like the one you're pointing to that Ajay wrote. Um, as trying to imagine worlds where you know, at some point in the future, the like Terminator comes online and like the the red lights, the red eyes start glowing, and it develops some kind of malevolent mm. consciousness, and it wants to break free. Um, but really, what's going on is just extrapolating a fairly kind of mechanistic mm. story, which we already have toy examples of, and kind of drops out quite quickly of yeah. just the the things that are in front of us right now um but okay so here's here's a thing that i might also think we're talking about the like default or the easiest path yeah. leading to something really bad um without specific um safeguards but like if i'm a company if i'm a lab building this ai and i want to remain profitable then i'm going to care about building in these safeguards some right like i don't mm -hmm. want my system to just like immediately go haywire and then i'll just like lose out so when doesn't the default path just involve or the labs like caring enough for this not to be a problem. Um, yeah. So the way that Ajaya and I are trying to define, or Ajaya is, and then I'm copying, define default path is specifically to like rule that out. So she, she, um, uh, I think she describes it as like they, they, she makes three assumptions. One of them is like they continue racing forward in the way they currently are, um, as in just like trying to make progress quite rapidly. Uh, another is that they do a naive safety effort where they basically try to like. Um, avoid the issues that are like pretty easily discernible and they're not like paying a lot of attention to things like um, yeah could there be quote unquote deception but it can just be like mechanistic and yeah um, and there's another, another assumption that maybe I blended in but I can't remember it um, so we're defining that as like yeah that, that is what we're defining as default you could just believe that like in reality that's not what's going to happen like they aren't going to race forward they, they're going to like slow down 
This could be because governments force them to slow down. It could be because they themselves realize they want to slow down. It could be because they like do some pact between the labs, like there's some sort of coordination. It could be because all the ML researchers boycott um, this progress because they like realize it's, it's worrying. It could be that the chip companies that are selling them the hardware they use, um, like boycott sales to them. Um, th there's a bunch of ways it could go well. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it would be crazy to think that there's like a greater than 99% chance that it goes well, if not for some people like making this their goal. And I, and I think that's sufficient um, for my purposes. <laughs> sure. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I think I would see these more as like levers that can be pulled that are maybe why we can be okay, rather than like reasons to just be like, oh, cool. Right, um, right, it right. is a little yeah. bit of a reason to be like, oh, cool. Like if, if all of those things definitely wouldn't happen at all in the mainline world without our work, then I'd be like, okay, all the bio people, please come over here. Like this is even more on fire than I thought. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it's on fire enough yeah. um, to like have some work on it. Yeah. Also, it's just the case that uh, there, there will be significant advantages to moving fast on AI. And it will be significantly incentivized um, both for like the host country to be like ahead and for the individual companies. Um, and I hope that they will realize that that's bad for the world uh, and in some sense bad for them. But there can be scenarios in which it is best for them um, because it, most of the problem is externalities. Like it's like everyone else can have a, like die or like have a horrible future or whatever. And also the whole future can be lost. So almost all the lost is not to this CEO or to this company. So I guess I have one kind of conceptual confusion there, which is as long as the CEO also dies, why does it matter that the externality exists or something? So as long as the CEO has like, I 100% don't want to die, does it really matter that they don't also internalize like other people dying and stuff? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, like, so like climate change is one example, mm -hmm. like climate, like everyone who is making climate change worse themselves, or I don't, not everyone, but a bunch of them themselves in expectation also suffer. Um, but I can uh, imagine the distinction with climate change is most of the bad things happen after the CEO has died or something. And they might care to some fraction that their children or their children's children die, but they don't internalize that pain yeah. as fully themselves versus if you're saying, no, that CEO might also die within 10, 20 years whilst they're still alive, I could imagine. Yeah. So, okay, I, I'll, I, I think the climate change analogy works, but, but I'll, um, uh, I'll instead just give like a toy model. So like imagine yeah. that like, I am company A, and if I develop it faster, then I get a bunch of money, um, and existential risk goes up 1%. If I wait, then it just goes down by 1%. There can be scenarios in which you like care enough about the profits that you like, uh, aren't, you're willing to pay some risk. Right. So, the, so basically, the key thing is um, doing the risky action doesn't flip the risk from 0 to 100% that you die. Mm -hmm. It flips the risk by some bounded finite amount expected amount um and there can be cases in which the gains to you are large enough from your perspective that you're willing to pay that risk and you wouldn't be willing to pay that risk if you like cared about the whole world or about the whole future but you are willing to pay that risk if you just care about you or your company or your country i mean it's like a, it's a public bad right so like maybe it's useful to think about the individual case if i'm like an engineer and i'm considering whether to join a lab or do something which is benign from the perspective of x risk Mm -hmm. then my reasoning is, okay, if I join this lab, then sure, maybe I like increase overall existential risk from AI this century by like epsilon. But also I would make a lot of money and I'd probably like find it really interesting um, and like really develop my career. And, you know, I'm kind of altruistic, but I do also like care about being able to like, you know, um, have a nice life and look after my family and stuff. So on balance, I'm going to like take the job, um, even though I'm like pretty altruistic. But if lots of people do that, then...
as long as there is some risk of whoever dying, mm -hmm. then um, they shouldn't they like fully internalize that as well. Because as long as they die, they really want to avoid that scenario at all costs. But I think a core intuition here is that people trade off some risk yeah. of them dying like yeah. all the time. For example, people driving cars and you can do some things that like cheaply lower those mm -hmm. risks, but the risks are never non-zero. If you drive in yeah. a car, even if you wear a seatbelt, you're still gambling some positive trade-off yeah. of like, I get to go to a job where I make some money with maybe I end up dying. But the key yeah. distinction here is, is that you're not just gambling with your own life, you're gambling with a bunch of other people's lives and yeah. you're not internalizing that thing fully. Similarly to when I drive, yeah. I'm making a choice between I might die, but I'm okay with that because I need to get on with my everyday life, but I'm not necessarily fully internalizing. Also, oh, I might crash this car and kill somebody yeah. else. And here we're speaking about like killing potentially a lot of other people. Yeah, that's a good analogy. There's also the extent to which like, um, well, if I don't do this, the other company might anyway. So like, yeah. they're, they're both trapped in it. Like it needs, like both actors, um, if either of them stepped away, still the bad thing can happen. Uh, unless there's some way of like coordinating. Um, and furthermore, I think just a lot of people just like, haven't looked at the empirical case for being worried. Um, so some of this is not just about like altruism or values, but like I claim like facts about the world that some people either haven't like haven't like explicitly noticed or haven't like emotionally internalized. I claim mm -hmm. um, I, one can make counter arguments to everything I've said. I believe we'll have an episode coming up later on counter arguments. So for now, I'm just gonna like say my thing. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so far we've been talking about, I think, AI risk in a mostly like technical, like safety lens of, look, these systems might be misaligned with the user's mm -hmm. uh, goals. But you could also imagine that like, even if AI is aligned, we still have existential risk left over because, you know, what are those users going to tell the AI to do? And the AI is going to align itself and, and do that thing. Can you like, very briefly, there's no need to go in huge amounts of detail here, but like list out some of the threats there and how you think about it? Yeah. So yeah, that's a good question. A good point. Um, so I said my, my like claim five, if I'm counting right, was like existentially catastrophic accident or misuse or other um, seems plausible. Mm -hmm. And so we've talked about like the, the sort of like technical misalignment is often called accident risk. It's like no human in particular is doing something mm -hmm. like something goes wrong with the system. It, it's kind of, it's slightly weird to call it an accident because maybe the system, the system is kind of being deliberate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's an accident from the sector of humans. Um, it's useful to, there's a term intent alignment, which is like an AI system being trying to do what its operator um, wants it to do. So it, it may fail, um, but it's trying, mm -hmm. but it's aligned to specifically just its operator's intentions. Um, so this is different from like, it is aligned with the interests of all of humanity. So you definitely can have, like it's totally plausible, you could have a um, intent aligned AI system that doesn't do a like uh, proactive, AI directed AI takeover, um, but still does horrible things with the future because it's like operator asks it to basically. Mm -hmm. But also there's like weirder things. Um, uh, uh, there's this post by Paul Cristiano called uh, What Failure Looks Like. Mm. It's like slightly hard to summarize or whatever. Um, but, but there's this other category often called like structural risks. Um, and, and there's various other things that are kind of in that bucket. You can sort of imagine like, okay, what if like, the world is full of like all the existing institutions and people and loads of them have AI assistants and helpers and they're making everything run better and faster. And it's also more complicated and intricate in the same way as like the finance industry or the compute supply chain are like very complicated interlocking yeah. beasts that I hardly understand. And I'm just like, well, I hope it, I hope all that <laughs> money is real. 
Um, like, like I hope this all makes sense and like these numbers mean something and like everyone's doing their job right, but I don't really know. And if you imagine like there's like a huge number of AI systems being assistants to various different people, creating new systems, like new financial systems or whatever, you might eventually have a thing where like uh, what we think the world is isn't really what it is and we don't really have control, not because any specific system's taken over, but just because it's too complicated and fast moving for us to understand it. And it's now just kind of like, in the pursuit of randomness or efficiency. Like the, the end result is just like, it's not awful, but it's not good. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. hard to explain, so we can move on. But yeah, <laughs> there are things like, I think to, to some extent for now, we should sort of like kind of mostly focus on the accident risk because that's to some extent the first problem. This is debatable and complicated, but to some extent, like the thing where like getting the AI system to actually want to do what at least one human wants to do is like the first way it can all go wrong, mm -hmm. kind of. Uh, but then I do think there's a lot of other stuff to do. And, and this is also part of why governance matters a bunch. Governance can help with accident stuff, but it's also going to be really important for the misuse, et cetera. Yeah. A governments, yeah, we'll talk about what governance is in a second, but it's not just like governments. It's like everything other than make the good system. Everything about like how it's used and how society's arranged. Yeah. yeah. Maybe to say that back, you might think, look, it's worth worrying about people deliberately and successfully misusing powerful AI systems only once it's possible to deliberately and successfully use AI systems, powerful AI systems mm -hmm. to do things that you want them to do for sufficient powerfulness. So you kind of need to solve the first thing before it's worth focusing entirely on the second thing. And maybe there is more than a second thing. There are lots of worries yeah. about AI, but yeah. we have this kind of fairly central primary worry, which is just like, it would be nice if we could get these powerful systems to do what we want them to do in the first place, yeah. especially given that them do, not doing what we want them to do could be catastrophically bad. To um, some extent. Um, I, I do think we should spend some of our energy on the misuse and other stuff already, but yeah, to some extent. Sure. Um, okay, so we have been talking about um, reasons to think that there are large risks, potentially existential risks from advanced AI. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, we'll be talking about um, how you might do things to reduce that risk, which raises the question of whether there is a case of thinking that it's possible to deliberately reduce the risks from AI, the existential risks. So why should someone think that? I kind of feel like the starting point should be that the first few hundred people at least who are like really actively trying to make this stuff go better um, can in expectation do a decent amount to make this stuff go better mm -hmm. uh, if they do their job well. Um, it, it would be like weird if there was nothing one could do. Mm -hmm. um, this, is, this is partly related to the timelines thing. Um, so like this would be less true if like our best guess is this is 500 years away. Mm. I think even then there's like still some stuff you could do, but I think if, if my best guess was 500 years away, I would probably be working on nuclear risk or nanotechnology or biotech risk. Um, uh, but given that this thing seems like it could plausibly come in the next 10 years, probably in my opinion, or like 50-50-ish in 20, Right now, the, so one way of answering this is just like a big list of things one could kind of do. Sure. And it's like, um, and we'll get more into that later, but like briefly it's things like, well, there's these labs doing a bunch of AI stuff. Like, can we change how they do AI stuff so that it goes better? There's these governments who like are doing some regulation, could do some regulation. They're also doing things like export controls to like, um, uh, well, why they're doing it, I'm not entirely sure, but like one consequence is it reduces the proliferation of, of, of like advanced AI chips and therefore reduces the number of actors who can do cutting edge development using their own um, chips that they, they own. Um, 
The, the, yeah, there's, uh, and there's like public, like just recently in the last few months, there's been a lot more public awareness to this stuff than there used to be with, mm -hmm. uh, I think, especially sparked by chat GPT and then recently GPT-4. So that there's already public discussions and people are already starting to form views. And so it seems like already you can start doing things to try to figure out um, what is the nature of this risk, what can be done, and then try to like gain the influence and ability to intervene on it. That's like one angle of answering. Another angle of answering is like, man, there's like only a few hundred people working on this, really, who are like focused on. So this being the best estimates I've seen, though they're very rough and it's hard to even define the question. But the best estimates I've seen are something like there's roughly 100 people professionally working on things related to AI governance, either research or like practitioners um, who are motivated by existential risk type concerns. Uh, and roughly 300 who like same thing, but for technical AI safety. Mm. Uh, so like 400-ish total, real small <laughs> uh, for the size of the problem. Like, uh, yeah, and it will, it, it, yeah, it, it's like there's enough for us to do. <laughs> yeah. Like when you're like when, when you're actually in the field, you're like, oh crap, like there's a lot that's on fire. Like I'm very busy. Feels like there's a lot yeah. to do. Um, you could still ask whether any given thing is good. I think some things that people are working on are like either like pointless or slightly net negative or whatever. Um, so it's not like it's just easy. Um, but there, there's stuff to do. Uh. Yeah, and to be clear, um, there's also there's definitely more than 400 people doing relevant work. Mm -hmm. uh, but like the set of people, I, I claim that it matters whether you're focused on the existential risk thing. That makes some difference to mm. what types of actions you focus on. One dynamic I've heard, which I'd be, be curious to um, hear your reaction to, is that there seems to be an important insight that we can kind of rule out or have strong reason to think that the risk of doom isn't zero, um, and the risk of doom also isn't 100%. Uh, percent. We can kind of tell stories of how this thing goes well, and we can kind of tell stories of how this thing doesn't go well, and things seem plausible, and there seems to be like enough messiness in between that this actually means that this is something that we can affect. It's not as if things are overdetermined to go well, or that things are overdetermined to go wrong. So now on the margin, uh, it's really valuable to like intervene here. Uh, one way to formalize that is to kind of imagine a logistics or kind of like S-curve. And it's saying that, look, we're not at the like very top of it where everything is already solved. And neither are we at the very bottom of it where everything is like doomed. We're like in that middle bit where it is really valuable to like double how many people are like working on this or to get an extra person, not just the like most talented, you know, exceptional, like single, you know, galaxy brain person, but just yeah. like everyday people as well. Like there's just like a ton to do here. Mm -hmm. Are you even in the penultimate or like third to last panel of the galaxy brain meme? Yeah. These people can still right. help. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this could be you. <laughs> Just the glowing blue guy or whatever it is. Yeah. I know pop culture. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I kind of agree. Um, so one thing I will say is that like, I think this is kind of overlapping with my prior response. But yeah, I, I think that like this whole AI risk thing um, would essentially definitely go awfully if no one worked on it ever mm. and essentially definitely go well if like the whole world oriented to like okay this is top priority like until we solve this everything else waits I, and you still have like teachers and farmers and stuff because you need them it, like mm. this would be a very weird world <laughs> it would be like this is like the top priority and all the supportive things to make this work in, the, in those two extremes it's gonna like we all die or something else really bad happens there's a lot of I, I use we all die as a shorthand but there's like a lot of other things um, or it goes amazing uh, in the world we're in, it's like, there's like, um, yeah, this like 
few hundred people who are like focused on it and then a bunch of other people doing relevant stuff. Some of the relevant stuff is net negative because people are like working in the general area, but without the same goals. And so then they can do things that are like just in the US is national security interest and that can be harmful for the world or whatever. Um, and so it, it seems like in the spot we're in, also though, I do think the amount of work's gonna increase. So like, I do think that as we get closer to the like the end times for better or worse, to be a bit biblical, um, people are going to increasingly notice and and there is going to be increasing sensibleness at labs probably there's also going to be increasing pressure to like be like oh man if we like like we're one step from like sure. a lot of good it's in reach now yeah um yes but i think there'll probably be more sensibleness but is it going to be enough i really don't know um and it does it it seems to me that we are kind of in that middle that broad middle region of the logistic success curve as Elias Yudkowsky puts it. He doesn't, he thinks we're in the in the bottom bit. <laughs> but we can use the term and I, I claim we're probably in the broad middle. But one pushback on that and, and a pushback on my work yeah. is you said that it would be weird to think we're super close to 0% or 100% risk currently. Mm -hmm. um, you can tell stories where we could be like closer to either end. Um, I think that's true. But Part of that is just un it's it's uncertain it's uncertainty about latent variables of the world already. Mm. It's not uncertainty sure. about like what happens in five years because of us. Like mm. it's not uncertainty about like do I manage to make the right choice or not. So to some, I think there is a. So my my personal like risk level belief is something something kind of like twenty five percent, but I don't put much weight on that and I haven't thought about it that much and it's yeah. mostly based on deference. So I'm, I'm something like in the next hundred years about a twenty five percent chance of existential catastrophe due to AI, but that is composed of a decent probability that we're already in a world where it's pretty much going to go fine, maybe because a lot of the public wakes up in a sensible way yeah. um, and they do a bunch of good stuff or maybe the ML community or whatever, um, and a decent fraction of like close to 100% risk worlds, like a, a decent fraction, like I, I think it's sort of a portfolio um, of possible worlds we could be in that already could be latently the case and it's just hard to observe, yeah. where like it could turn out that it's already the case the alignment is like really, really hard to do. And that like US-China relations are gonna get much, much worse over the next 10 years. Yeah. And there's not much that can be done about that. Yeah. So this pushes against working on AI risk. It might also push, like this is also relevant to bio risk. This is relevant to many things. Like um, when you when it looks like there's a decent chance it goes well or poorly, that doesn't just mean everything hangs in the balance and you can help. Yeah. It could mean it's kind of overdetermined. Yeah. But still, all, all that said, Right. I think this is super important. And I do think in expectation, we can do a lot. So just to like maybe repeat back or understand, it could be that AI risk is 50%, but if there's nothing that we can do to change that 50%, then it doesn't matter that that happens to be in between zero and 100%. It could, the 50% could be made of, like in the extreme case, it could be 50% chance it all goes awfully because um, uh, it could already be the case that OpenAI have this model and they're just about to release it tomorrow and it's going to kill everyone. Or it could be that they've got the aligned model and it's also going to solve all the problems and release it tomorrow. Yeah. And that, that would just be revealed tomorrow and there's nothing I can do. So I get that that leads to one other objection which I hear about why even if AI uh, X risk is uh, super important and could be influenced, um, why that maybe shouldn't mean that you uh, should work on it. And that is just that it is really hard to know what kind of an impact you're having, importantly on like whether you're having a positive impact or a negative impact. So it's best to just like stay away and, and not do anything there. And that even if you spend a lot of time reflecting on what maybe your sign uncertainty uh, is, that's not gonna attractively like lead anywhere. Um, so it's best to just like let sleeping dragons lie or like let somebody else do it. Yeah. Uh, is there anything you have to, to that objection? Then maybe we can like engage with it more on like the object level as well. But I'm, yeah. I'm curious in the framing of career advice, uh, what, what you think there? 
Yeah. Um, I think that that is something close to that is a super important point. And that precisely, the, the precise thing you said is a very stupid thing. Um, which I'm not point, pointing finger at you. Um, and, and I I'm, just, I'm just raising you're arguments. You're just a conduit. Yeah, you're, sure. you're just the messenger. The messenger. Um, and also, I, I don't mean people who believe it are stupid. I think this is really commonly believed. I, I say stupid because I don't know, hot takes are fun on podcasts. Yeah. Um, and because I do think it's really important. Like the incorrectness of this is really important and it generalizes beyond AI. So I think um, it is absolutely the case that if you're like, oh crap, AI risk is a big deal. I'm going to like dive in and just like swing about wildly um in the vicinity of important variables uh i'm not very chuffed about that um this has been done to some extent and has gone badly sometimes like there are people who've like heard about ai risk and they've like because so if, if someone's like um what am i going to do with my career i haven't heard of ai risk i guess i'm going to be an optometrist or something mm. i don't there's not much of a way they can make ai risk way worse like yeah. how, how they do in their job isn't going to affect things mm -hmm. so the closer you are to the important problem the more scope there is like i'm saying it's the most important story going on this century the closer you are to the heart of that story um the more chance there is that like random action can make things worse and i do think like what we're trying to do here is kind of fragile or something mm. like there's kind of a narrow target we want to hit so i do want people to be very thoughtful and sensible all that said, uh, this is a reason to be very careful. I think it would be kind of crazy to be like, um, this area is an area where it would be easy to do harm. Like, like if, if you first believe that um, existential risk or long, the long-term future are like hugely important, like these things going right are like hugely important, and then you think, oh, but it's very hard to know what the best thing to do is, It'll be very weird to then turn from that to I'm going to not work on existential risk or long-termist stuff at all. Mm -hmm. It'll be reasonable to be like, okay, then I'm going to do bio stuff because the story's clearer there, or then I'm going to do nuclear stuff because the story's clearer there, or then I'm going to like go and improve institutions in general, but in a way that's decently targeted at what yeah. helps the long-term future. It would also be reasonable to be like, therefore, I'm not going to do any object-level, like direct action AI work. Mm -hmm. I'm instead going to just work on like research and try to figure out what's good to do. Um, but it'd be very weird to be like, well, I'm not going to spend five years trying to figure out what's good to do. I'm going to assume that no effort can figure out what's good to do. And I'm just going to walk away to something that I think is vastly less important. Yeah. And I yeah. think this applies. So this this is also an objection to long termism in general. And I think like the strongest alternative and long termism is this idea of like um, trying to do what's like the a key moral priority. Doesn't mean all of your energy has to focus on it. You can still like have a dog and like go for nice walks and stuff. <laughs> um, but like. Uh, to the extent that you're trying to do moral things for the world, the key priority is to help the long-term future go really well. Um, I think the best alternative to long-termism is it's too hard to know what's good for the long-term future. Therefore, let's do a crap load of research and thinking to figure that out. Yeah. And it'll be very weird to be like, therefore, when we've only been trying for something like, I don't know, uh, 200 person year equivalents, like it's pretty small. It's like way smaller than most scientific fields, like the effort that's gone into trying to figure out what's good for the long-term future focused on that goal. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop. <laughs> I'm just gonna be like, <laughs> right. well, definitely we can't do it. Like it, it's absolutely failed. It seems to me like not much has been tried, and success has occurred. Like we've made some progress in trying to think about this. Yeah. But I'm sympathetic to being careful and to focusing mostly on research rather than action for now. I'm yeah. sympathetic to that. I I really like that response, and I think um it is useful to just like point out that I think the argument relies on a like super counterintuitive and kind of crazy seeming thing, which as you say is. Look, there's this thing that I agree is the most important thing going on right now, but I don't want to do it 
um, yeah. or like do anything that's like vaguely like related to it. I agree that that just seems like from an outside perspective, like insane galaxy yeah. um, brain reasoning. And then I think you point to like two heuristics, which I think are like really interesting and worth keeping in mind. One of them, as you say, is look, it's really important to know that what we're doing here is like fragile and to be like reflective. And that can like maybe cash out into a heuristic on how risk averse you want to be knowing that you are like very uncertain about things. So if you, you know, have an action which like on prior seems like it's like 51% likely to do good and 49% likely to do bad. Should you like go ahead um, and like take that positive EV bet or should you reflect more or have a general thing of like, no, I'm only doing bets where I'm like much more certain than what I'm doing is robustly good. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's like a, a really like useful heuristic, even if you're in this world to like keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Maybe the way I say all this back is that it is reasonable and probably accurate to think that in areas like this, in general, when you're doing big consequential things, it tends to be easier to break things than to fix them or to do some amount of harm than to make serious progress. Um, but one of the things you can do is just research. And mm -hmm. if you do careful, good faith, well-communicated research, um, it's a lot harder to think about how you might do like significant harm there, which isn't to say that the only thing people should be doing is research, like obviously not. Yeah. Um, but in terms of uh, just demonstrating that there are useful things to do, even if you're worried about the fragility of the whole space, um, here's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like maybe the, uh, the motto of this episode will be like, that's roughly right, but it's complicated <laughs> or something. Um, Cause I think the space is complicated. So I think, I think that's roughly right, but it's complicated. And um, one, one thing is I don't, I, I kind of feel like it's true that this space is narrow and fr like, like our goal is narrow, a, a narrow target and the space is fragile and it's easier to do harm than good. But I don't really know why it should be the case that it's easier to do harm than good. And so I'm like a, a bit worried that my reasoning is flawed there, but it, it does, it appears to me like when I look at a bunch of specific object level examples, it does seem like I also do like some grant making and stuff. And so I, I'm like looking at that and I also like advise a bunch of um, like projects and researchers and stuff, both at my org and elsewhere. And it does feel like very often um, something feels like it could easily be net harmful. And it does feel like a bunch of people entering the field and swinging around wildly can be net harmful. I'm not, I'm not really sure if there's a systematic reason why that's the case. It might be instead that it's like 20% of the time it's harmful and that's enough that I really want people to pay attention rather than if you don't like, as I'm saying, if you don't think really hard, maybe it's only a 20% chance they make things worse, but that's enough that thinking really hard is super worthwhile. I'm not really sure. I just want to flag uncertainty. Another thing is, um, I think it, oh yeah, okay, related point, because I was just thinking while you were asking, maybe the reason is that I believe the risk is below 50%. Mm -hmm. um, and th there's like some, I, I think re the real picture is complicated, but there's some like naive first pass answer of like, well, as it stands, odds are things go okay that I'm not satisfied with that. I don't want odds are, I don't want a quarter chance that everything's awful forever. Mm. Um, but that means that if you just do a purely random thing, maybe it's more likely to harm than help. Other people though, believe the odds are close, like they're, they're on the 100% side of 50%, then you might have different views. I think in reality, it would be a lot more complicated, but like there's maybe that's part of what's going on. In any case, whether it's easier to do harm than good, I do want people to think because it is decently easy to do harm. Yeah. Um, it's at least decently easy. Please think carefully. Yeah. There's definitely something here as well, which feels uh, emotionally very true or resonates, um, which is that I think when I think about my own career or like my own impact, 
I have this incredible aversion towards having a negative effect myself and like having maybe a bias here or a drive to like really not want to be like anything that I do is like ne negative, but that's distinctively different from thinking about what's um, best for the world, or like best like on a community level or something yeah. in terms of like what people are doing. That like I might want to be way more than like 50% or even like 80% certain that I'm like having a yeah. like net positive impact, but maybe from like an optimal strategy or something that's like not what everybody should be um, focusing on. Yeah, I'll, um, yeah, one, yeah. So basically, I think like some people are in some sense like too wary of the downside risk and some people aren't wary enough. Yeah. So I don't really want to like community wide just be like, everyone slow down, be more careful, because some people are being too slow and too careful. Some people, mm. um, often those are researchers. Uh, and then, and then like, but I also don't want to be like, everyone like, oh crap, everything's on fire, like move fast in any direction you think is best. Um, yeah, I think different things are better for different people. And to some extent, the sort of people who are inclined to a sort of doing role, like actually being in policy or actually like building institution. I, I think on average, I would like them to be a bit more cautious, um, although this, there's exceptions. And then people who are in research roles, I think like, mm, I don't know if I believe the opposite in that case. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, think in your specific case what seems best to you and talk to a bunch of people. Um, one thing, a quick, like, last thing is um, there's something called the unilateralist curse. Mm -hmm. um, there's a decently long paper on this, but I think the core idea is, if I recall correctly, pretty much just if you imagine there's like 10 people, imagine they're all altruistic um, and they're all trying to figure out is doing action A good? Um, and on average, they think it's not but there's some like noise as in like that they're all like making some degree of error in their prediction of whether action A is good. And action A is something where like, if it's bad, it, it, like doing it once is as bad as doing it 10 times. Mm. Um, for example, like publishing the, um, like the code for smallpox or whatever, like um, publishing the sequences for smallpox. Uh, or like then, spoiling a movie to someone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th then um, like it, it's fairly likely that at least one of them does the bad thing. Like if on average they think it's bad, but not by an insanely huge margin, then like just due to noise, like one of them will be above the line. And if they don't talk to the other ones and they don't think about the unilateralist curse, they'll be like, well, it seems to me that's good. Um, and so the other nine would have yelled at them like, please, no. Um, yeah. yeah. And the solution to this is fairly simple. It's basically A, think about the, like, remember that last minute of things I said. Yeah. So just like bear that in mind now and then, especially if you're doing something where it's like hard to reverse and it's like a once off, like publishing some big splashy paper being like, AGI is a huge deal. I think that could be pretty bad. And like one person doing it could be pretty bad. It, it's complicated. Like yeah. it depends on how you do it. Um, and B, um, just talk to people, like talk to other people who you think are the kinds of people who could take this action or who might have thoughts on this action. Try to include in that set people who are often worried about stuff. So don't be like, I'm a policy person. I'm only going to talk to the other people who are also pushing concrete policies right now in big ways. Mm. Also talk to some of the people who chose not to go into policy because they're a bit scared of doing stuff right now. They might not be right, but it's good to like sample their views. One last crux I'm interested in here as well is there seems to be an assumption that reflecting on things and thinking more about things like will lead you to like tangibly like better uh, conclusions. Mm -hmm. If I'm like sign uncertain about something initially, then spending... Uh, you know, weeks or months, like really researching this question um, will like lead me to a better conclusion. Uh, that also feels like a claim. Uh, is there like evidence for uh, like that, you know, consistently like leading to um, uh, better decisions, especially in a field that feels messy and complicated and yeah. abstract? Um, yeah. So first, I guess just flagging sign uncertainty is like when you think it could be, you're not just uncertain like how good, but you're like, it could, it could be good. It could be bad. Like yeah. it could be net harmful for the world. Um, 
I agree that it. I agree with the claim that it is a claim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think it. Uh, I think I think it's just like kind of obviously at least kind of true or like we should have a strong prior that like on average thinking more and doing research will an expectation help more than harm and it will help like a non-trivial amount yeah. like it'll be kind of weird to think that um decently well executed research or reflection uh should be expected to have absolutely no benefit um to, to your quality of the conclusions i do think there's like a big question one can ask about like how big is the benefit yeah. Like it, I think it, it or, or more particularly, like when do we get you know sufficient diminishing returns to like yeah. stop thinking yeah. and start doing things? Yeah. So I think it wouldn't be crazy to think. Okay, nowadays we have about as like we're not going to get way more clarity, um, and things are urgent. Like so, so I think the case for like not doing much research, a key plank would be things are urgent. It wouldn't just be like the research won't help much. It would be like. On the margin, the research. This is this is this is a case one can make. Yeah. Um, it's not my case. I lead research team. Um, so one could claim that, like, on the margin, the research isn't going to help that much because this stuff is really hard to research. Mm -hmm. um, it's like it, it's about very complicated interlocking inter interdisciplinary things that are happening decently far into the future, um, and there's a lot of action happening right now mm -hmm. by people. Like, okay, sure, you want to keep your hands clean. You don't want to do a bad policy, um, but there's people right now pushing policy. And they aren't thinking at all about this. Yeah. Um, and so if all of the people who are like, oh, the unilateralist curse is a big deal, all therefore step back, then like the only people doing things are the like systematically less cautious people. Yeah. Um, and there might be things like we might have some best guesses. So it's not, it's not just to preempt bad ideas. It's also to like, we do have some best guesses and some things take a long time. So we can't just wait until we've like figured out a lot more clarity in five years um, maybe there's like some treaty that we want to start moving towards having set up now. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some government agency we want to move towards starting now. Maybe there's like uh, like norms and um, safety culture we want to spread in the machine learning community. And and this this you know that sort of thing takes a long time. That's reasonable. Yeah. I think for that reason, people should be spending like the community a decent chunk of its portfolio should be action. Yeah. Um, another reason is that. Uh, I think the relevant distinction is like actions taken for the purpose of sort of quote unquote directly influencing the world rather than for figuring out what to do later mm. versus um, actions taken for strategic clarity purposes yeah. that like help us figure out what to do, not research versus direct action. Yeah. Direct action is also a way to get strategic clarity in, in some ways, like actually trying to push some policies and having people actually in government or in labs um, trying to influence people because you're learning about the world and yeah uh, your actions as a result yeah so these people by being in this they don't have to take actions but like just by being in the institutions they're learning how the institutions work and like a key reason i'm uncertain how iris is going to go is i don't have a detailed sense of how the u.s government chooses things yeah i'm working on it i've got an okay sense i talked to lots of people but if i'd actually worked in the u.s government for three years in a relevant agency that would help that doesn't require actually doing important things. It, you have to have be there, but like you might as well do things while you're there. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, yes, you get the feedback loops. You're like, okay, well, one thing I don't know about is like, would policy people um, find this idea I'm pushing vaguely reasonable? Mm -hmm. Like vaguely reasonable enough that I could imagine in three years when I have a stronger case, they will go for it. Yeah. If not, then there's no point researching how good this would be because it's just not going to happen. Um, and I can find that out by like trying to push early versions. So yeah, I definitely think we should be doing some action, both because like some things are urgent and take a long time to set up, and because we have some decent best guesses, which we'll get into later. We'll mm -hmm. finally get to object level pretty soon, <laughs> um, and because um, and because you learn 
one way you get clarity is by taking actions. But still, uh, the other motto of the show is like, but also be careful. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've been alluding to various downside risks of just trying to kind of get involved and swing around and try to do useful things in this general area of reducing existential risk from AI. But I think we should, it'd be useful to talk about what those risks are more concretely. So did you have yeah. particular things in mind? Yeah, yeah, and that makes sense. Uh, it shouldn't just be like some mysterious right, man right. of like, be wary, the downside yeah. risks. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, so I have in mind approximately seven. Um, <laughs> and I'll try to, I think they're each one sentence. Let's see how fast we can do okay, it. Great. Um, BuzzFeed style. Yeah, so <laughs> the top seven downside risks to avoid that could kill everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, which one are you? Uh, so first one is locking in bad policies. This is no particular order. This is just like, yeah, I made a doc because I kept wanting to tell people this. And um, yeah, this is the order that it happens to be in the doc. Um, so number one is locking in bad policies. Uh, this this And so I've said policies a lot in this interview. Um, it's a bit misleading, same in the exact same way that governance is, mm. because I don't just mean government policy. I mean sort of like an action that some actor sort of commits to in some way. Yep. So this can also be like a lab having an internal policy of like how it does things or whatever. Um, but yeah, so like policies are often kind of sticky. Like once they're in place, um, it's like, well, this is the default. And like if you argue for a new one, it's like, well, we've already got that policy. Mm. Um, uh, and it could turn out that they're either bad or they're just like much less good than what we could have achieved a year later if we thought harder first. Um, so yeah. You don't want to lock in bad policies. Um, number two is information hazards, which means like true information that is still harmful to disseminate in certain ways. So it's not lies, um, but it is not safe, uh, at least in certain ways. So like uh, one that would be kind of obvious, um, like there's some, one would be like actual concrete info that just like people knowing it, um, they, can, they can use that info in a really harmful way, such as like the the, the weights for a um, AGI system being like just given to everyone tomorrow. Yeah. That seems bad, but but yeah. So, so one example would be like the code for some really dangerous pandemic pathogen or the code for like a really dangerous AI system being released. That's an obvious type, but really I think in AI governance, the way more common type is what's called attention hazards, mm -hmm. which is like this idea is kind of out there, but still making it more salient is dangerous so um already there are books about agi um but just like yelling to a bunch of people agi um and really making them emotionally internalize how big a deal it could be could be fairly dangerous because of this sort of externalities thing we mentioned earlier um and because if people have a, like it's not just the externalities it's also like they just might kind of misunderstand it or the unilateralist curse thing it could be that there's like 50 entrepreneurs who will look at this and be like oh, well, even just for me and my family and my country, it seems bad for me to like launch a company and go ASAP towards this goal. And then there's like the two others who are like, huh, yeah, I've got to build it safe. Mm -hmm. um, One thing I might mention here is um, a post from Holden Konofsky called Spreading Messages to Help with the Most Important Century, where he tries to come up with some examples of yeah. true seeming claims that also seem pretty bad to just shout from the rooftops with no qualifications or no one. Yeah. These are things like, for instance, uh, AGI could be like a huge deal and like really important and powerful. Yeah. That's it. Because you can imagine just reading the wrong things into that. Yeah. And and it's tricky because that I think that is actually a core part of the yeah. risk case. And and so this also means that just trying to push the message of AGI risk is also quite downside risky. Because either you probably sound like if if your listener is a sensible person who isn't just overly gullible, 
either you forget to mention the thing about how powerful AGI is and they're like unconvinced and you've made a bad first impression and now they're going to like, they're going to think this community is kind of stupid. Or you've mentioned this thing about like extreme power and maybe now it sounds kind of tasty or maybe now they're mostly scared of some other bad person doing it, but they're going to be sensible and good. Right. Um, so they're not being selfish, but they're being like ego, like, 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 um, over, over self-confidently altruistic. And they're like, well, I'm the one who can do this right. Right. Um, so and then it leads to like more race dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's partly about like, then this speeds things up, but it's also about like, if at the end, when we have, when we're close to the really powerful systems and, and it's not binary, it's not like there's some end point. Um, but it's a little bit like that. Like we're getting increasing power and the stakes get increasingly high. If at the end there's like 20 actors who can all do this, mm. it's really hard to coordinate. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty sure. risky. If there's like one to three, then like it seems way more plausible. You can get some sort of like self-regulation or pact or coordination that no one defects from. And you can like monitor and verify agreements yeah. among all of them. So the, yeah, the issue with racing is not just speed. It's also like multipolarity, quote unquote. Uh, I, I feel like we've kind of moved beyond just attention yeah. hazards. You maybe want to like just sum I mean, it up as like number lists. three. Yeah. yeah, yeah, number three, fair enough. <laughs> uh, advancing some risky R&D areas uh, via things other than info hazards is number three. This is, I think, less relevant here, but something like... Um, if you do, if, if you're like, well, what we need is a lot more technical AI safety people. Um, one thing that does make a good technical AI safety person is being really good at machine learning. Then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to run a machine learning bootcamp. Mm. Um, I think this is probably actually good, uh, but it could be bad because you could end up mostly speeding up AI. And it's not via attention hazards, it's via like sort of like training or something. But that, that's kind of irrelevant. Um, and just to make the obvious point, speeding it up is bad because it means that we have less time to do safety yeah. alignment research. I think speeding up is probably bad. Yeah. I'm not actually super confident, but I think in expectation it's probably bad. And to a large enough extent that like, even though, you know, I, I would like a bit more research, mostly I think slowing down is like, or yeah, I think speeding up is quite bad and slowing down is probably good, but they're a bit different for yeah, complicated yeah. reasons. Um, we'll do more episodes, I'm sure, on this yes. like, in more depth later. Um, number four. Is um, like uh, polarizing or making partisan some important like policies, ideas, and communities. This is a really big one. I should probably reorder the list in like importance order. Um, <laughs> so like a really big like okay, you haven't said anything particularly crazy or like um, stupid or dangerous in itself, and you haven't locked in some bad policy, but you've just made this sound like really a Democrat thing, um, yeah. or, or or you made this like sound like some sort of like environmentalist thing, or you've made this sound like some sort of like U.S. national security right wing thing. Um, in any of those cases, like really this is humanity's business. Like this risk is a thing, like if everyone bought the whole case, it some people still wouldn't care, but it wouldn't be because of left or right reasons. Um, mm. It doesn't need to be partisan. And as soon as something's partisan, you put a lot of people offside. And also just like it's like now thinking on this topic becomes way worse usually. Yeah. Like there's like really acrimonious, like low quality tribal debates. I don't want that infecting this cause area. Um, yeah, so be, being careful about how you frame it. And like, I mean, one thing is just the effective altruism community, which cares unusually much about this stuff, is disproportionately left-leaning. Um, and so if we just have everyone talking about this, it's gonna kind of look like a left thing, just yeah. because of who's talking about it. I feel super unsure like which side it would end up coded on. Uh, I would guess overall left, and I think the biggest reason is just who's pushing it. Um, it happens to be usually left or young or whatever people. Um, but I, I really don't know. Mostly I'm just worried about the polarization thing. Yeah. Um, I think it, I wouldn't, like, I, it might even be the case that it could get polarized in different directions in different jurisdictions or that, like, different pieces of it get polarized on different sides or whatever. Um, yeah, so I don't really know which way it will get polarized. 
if it was the case that we like had strong reason to believe there's going to be like forces on both sides, then yeah. may maybe this downside risk goes away because maybe it's like, oh, we want a bit of left-ish presentation because to counterbalance. Mm. But like, I'm guessing that like just be careful to not polarize it. Yeah. is a good first pass. That sounds good. Okay, let's get this listicle back on track. Yes, cool. Number um, approximately five, I guess. Yeah, those BuzzFeed people, they have a hard job. New found respect. We should have one of the editors in the of room. journalistic integrity. Yeah. yeah, okay, so number five is like making a bad first impression in some communities or like poisoning the well. So like, um, uh, I think plausibly like Elia Zudkowski does some of this to like name a name. Um, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, uh, like I think he said a lot of really useful stuff about AI mm -hmm. risk. Um, but sometimes can come across as like apocalyptic type, like like overconfident, unrigorous, insufficiently academic, etc. Maybe this is all fine in order to say the message. But yeah, just in, in general, I, I guess he's not the focus. Just the thing is like, um, don't be or come across as arrogant or foolish or like the argument is really weak or whatever, because it might be there's like busy people who have a lot of different people vying for their attention. Mm -hmm. um, and if they've once heard someone sound kind of crazy, and and this this at first glance it can easily sound crackpot, um, and it's also sure. the case a lot of people who care about it are like median age, roughly twenty five, and like lack detailed knowledge of at least some of the really important areas, like either AI or geopolitics or whatever. Um, so we easily could actually be or come across as arrogant, and we should try not to do so. Um, number six, I'm going to move on myself this time, uh, <laughs> is like um, causing like sticky but suboptimal framings or memes to become prominent. Mm -hmm. So you could like make it the case that this is framed as mostly an issue of like um, how China could misuse AI. Uh, and if that's how everyone's used to framing it, we could be stuck with that. And it's like, oh, right, no, but right. like if we build it first, it can still kill us. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and this is, again, kind of like locking in bad policies thing. It seems like sometimes whatever comes first can kind of stick around. Uh, and then finally, um, uh, so there's something kind of like drawing more attention or players to some topics in a way that makes it harder for the people who are like uh, pushing for exactly the right thing to have quite a bit of sway over how things play out. And I, I, I want to be really careful with this um, because like I think this could easily be kind of like tribalistic or, or could lead to like not like overall I want to grow the set of people who are trying to work on this stuff even if they don't like quite fully get it or something. Um, but it's just it's like one thing to be mindful of. So downside risk doesn't mean like overall this action will be net negative. It's like there is like one cost to just like increasing the number of people who are kind of working on this stuff but not exactly in yeah. the way I'd want them to be. Stepping back um, from this uh, listicle, I think one theme that seems to pop up a bunch in the seven things you mentioned is just optionality is important, or I guess the flip side of that is like doing things that are going to be really hard to reverse in yeah. the future when we might know more yeah. is generally bad. Is that like a yeah. broad like thing you'd agree with? Yeah. So, um, like, if if you if you do a downside risky thing, but it's just like you know. 10 people hear it and then they're going to forget in three months. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, it's not that bad. Um, but if it's like, this is the framing that sticks with them or like um, these people then work on this forever or they actually set up this company and it just keeps going. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can't later be like, oh, sorry. Um, I take, take, take your backsies or whatever. <laughs> like, um, pretend, pretend I didn't say anything. Um, yeah. So, so relatedly, this is also part of why research is safer, like in some sense safer, but it can also be lower upside yeah. um, than like direct action a decent amount of the time, especially because you can do like, you don't even have to publish. 
So you can just do the research, see what you find, then think about like, in what way should I share this? With what framings? Like to who? Do I put this in like some really prestigious journal? Do, do I like slap this in an op-ed that policymakers will read? Um, so each step you can like assess. Yep. Okay. So these are many ways that well-intentioned actions can yep. go wrong, maybe even do harm. I feel like we better switch now to talking about how you could plausibly do something useful <laughs> yeah. on, on this stuff. So yeah, I mean, maybe an initial question is, in the high-level terms, what kind of needs to be done to make things go better? Yeah. Um, yeah, so everything I've said is not to discount, like, right. my God, there is work to be done. Yeah. And, like, please, please help. Like, do, <laughs> yeah. do so in a sensible way, but please. Um, yeah. uh, some context for that. I mean, uh, regular listeners to the show will know. But um, uh, three years and three months ago, I was a high school low-level mathematics teacher. Right. Um, and I now co-lead a team that I think is kind of like 10% of the field by headcount. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's not good. <laughs> oh dear yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what i did i don't have a computer science background i don't have like a international relations background like i have a psychology undergrad and then i did like a bunch of like random research with like random ea orgs mm. um effective organizations uh so yeah there's um it's it's not under control i think the median age of the field is probably like 26 ish uh -huh. um yeah so there's lots to be done um roughly at a high level what needs to be done i like here's here's a framing that i think works mm -hmm. is um we basically need to need to solve intent alignment the thing i mentioned earlier of like the ai system is trying to do what at least its operator wants it to do mm -hmm. and then also ensure ai systems collectively um are used very well um this means at least no extreme misuse so like you know at a minimum like don't launch all the nukes yeah um but i think also ensuring there's very good use mm -hmm. i think because, so I'm coming at this from a long-termist perspective. You don't have to. You can just be like, oh, maybe in 10 years, everyone dies, including my family. Let's work on that. Um, but personally, I do think most of the values in the long-term future. Um, and I want us to get there. Um, and this requires not just that it doesn't all explode. Um, it also requires that, like, I think it requires that we get to a really good long reflection. This is this concept from um, Toby Alderman McCaskill. Um, the, the book The Precipice spells this out a bit. Uh, like some period where a decent fraction of humanities spending a decent amount of attention trying to figure out what we actually want to do with the future in a really careful, rigorous way, and then we do it. Mm. So, um, how are you gonna do this thing of like solve intent alignment and make sure that the AI systems collectively plus humanity or whatever are used very well? Uh, I think this basically requires ensuring pretty much all actors who are able to develop or use these systems um, act very responsibly. Mm -hmm. and have enough time to do all the careful work required and they realize that they have that much time um so because it could be that they have enough time like the other companies aren't racing but they like fear that someone's in secret like right on the precipice okay so you could have a case like so, so really nailing this like transparency and coordination maybe it's complicated um, <laughs> but so you could have so firstly we want it to be like the people who can do this, maybe this is probably a mix of companies and governments. So the people who can do the development and can do the use, either like right now they could do it, or yeah. like within six months they could spin up a lab or something, or they could like commandeer an existing lab or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. All the actors who have that capability really want the future to go well. Like they're aware of existential risk, they're aware of like long-termism. I, I, the second part isn't needed, but I, I, I hope that it happens because I think it might be needed for the long reflection piece. Uh -huh. um, 
they're aware of like good risk management practices. They're aware of like good information security practices. They have a decent understanding of the topic. Um, they're well resourced because otherwise, like it needs to be that everyone at the frontier is very responsible. Therefore, if they're not very well resourced, someone else is going to get to the frontier. And if they're not responsible, we're screwed. Yep. And they need to, yeah, have enough time to do all the work required. And they need to not be, because you could have a case where they're very responsible, but someone else is about to launch tomorrow. So they do like a really risky launch that's still like, in fact, it actually is the best move. Yeah. I think there's a significant chance we end up in a scenario where the responsible thing to do is still very risky. Mm-hmm. And I do, mm-hmm. I do not want yeah. that. Like, that's no, that's no good. Um, yeah, okay, so then how do you do that? How do you get to the point where, like, roughly all the actors are, who can do this are very responsible, have time, know they have time? I think you want to do something like maximize the responsibility of the actors with these capabilities, reduce proliferation to other actors, like reduce the number of actors who can sure. be operating at the frontier, either in terms of development or in terms of use. Um, by time, so like slowing things down in some ways, or preparing for a slowdown later. Mm-hmm. I, I'd especially like a slowdown later. Um, once we have more advanced systems who can help us and that we can study and that we can like use to point to and be like, hey, Mr. President, like, look at this, like, yeah. <laughs> let's be careful. Um, and, uh, and then just also have like a vast amount of high quality work done on the actual alignment and how to use it challenges. Mm-hmm. And then there's a bunch of ways of doing that, which we can get into below. So that's the high level framing. Okay, cool. So that sounds like a description of a pretty good ultimate outcome, mm-hmm. putting aside how easy or likely it is to get there. But I don't imagine that just saying that description like immediately suggests the things we can do now to like steer towards the outcome. No, I reckon, um, yeah, just let's close the episode here. Yeah, like, <laughs> Go forth, do the thing I said. Good luck, guys. <laughs> Maximize responsibility. You're right. sorted. Yeah, right. I, yeah, I agree. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, here's one question. Having heard you say that, does that mean that in some sense within the approximately 200 person field which, to which you belong, there is like a capital P plan for like getting here? Um, mm-hmm. Like what's the state of play about the different strategies we can take or people should take yeah um so firstly the field's 100 um oh, so no good yeah I mean, you like you, you had an optimistic right yeah guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh sorta um it's like there's not even perfect agreement in the community or within my head on the high level framing I gave like it's pretty plausible that we should like sort of drop the long reflection part of the framing or that that's like pretty much the whole thing mm-hmm. and like a lot of people are going to work on like making sure they don't all die but like almost no one cares about the long reflection piece and so that's really the action mm-hmm. so even even that framing is questionable however I think as we raised earlier like the key thing isn't like are you 100% sure that your picture is right and that this action's good it's like do we have enough of a best guess plus urgency is high enough that like, mm-hmm. let's go so I think like the rough picture I said is like good enough that we should be like doing a lot of work on that and then in terms of like how to action it, there is a, there's something like a portfolio of decent plans. So there's not like a plan and there's no plan that we're like very confident is both tractable, like would succeed if like, like this would be enough if implemented mm-hmm. and won't happen by itself, like needs us. Um, but there's like a portfolio of like candidates um, with different levels of being fleshed out. Uh, I think unfortunately there's been um, there's there's both cases where people are sort of like 
we just know what to do. We need to we need to execute all the details right now with no further thought. And there's been cases where people have like said things that are like, oh, it's really hard to get clarity. And that sounded like or been taken as there's nothing to do. Sure. It's just way too hard. I really disagree with both. I think we've got a good enough plan that some people should be acting right now. Yep. And we also need to keep filling in the details as we go. Um, I can, if you wish, start saying some of this portfolio of like high level plans. Yes, let's hear these plans. Cool. Yeah. And okay, so these um, uh, th this is drawing mostly on a uh, report that my team recently put out. Also, I should say like a lot of what I said in this um, interview is like drawing on various people from my team and elsewhere, um, sure. sort of like a remix of the community, a little yeah. chat GPT. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, this report was called Survey on Intermediate Goals in AI Governance. Um, mm -hmm. It is accessible via the Effective Altruism Forum. You've got to like request access, but then I'll grant it within a day, yep. as long as cool. I'm not And we'll asleep. link to it. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and, and this, so in this survey, we asked about um, people's high level quote unquote theory of victory for AI governance, which is sort of like how they think, it's sort of like the question Finn asked of like, what do they see as a feasible, like the, our best bet as to how this all, how to make this all go well at a high level, like some plan that is like plausibly feasible and plausibly enough. Uh, then we also asked about intermediate goals, which are like um, things at the level of abstraction of like uh, changing immigration policy in a particular way or um, making the ML machine learning community care more about AI risk or whatever. So like semi-abstract. Um, mm. On the theories of victory piece, uh, some that like emerged um, and also that I'm just like aware of from outside of this, there's like a few leading candidates a lot of people seem to coalesce on. One is um, a multilateral international monitoring and enforcement regime that comes about and it prevents unsafe AI development or deployment. Mm -hmm. So this, this can come about in a bunch of ways. It can like take a bunch of forms. One model could be like the International Atomic Energy Agency, which mm -hmm. has helped a bunch with a, 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 like, so in nuclear weapons, there's like a set of different international governance institutions, a mix of like treaties and bodies and stuff that like collectively have helped a lot with mm. both um, reducing proliferation of nuclear weapons and also like helping with like arms control and like like the countries that do have them like how much do they have and like do, do they like trust each other and yeah. stuff um we could have like analogous things like a, a suite of analogous institutions set up for ai risk that like helps um say what you're allowed to do monitor what people are doing verify that they're sticking with it and enforce if they're not mm -hmm. um and then that helps with yeah buying time and proliferation and all of that you could have it like an alternative that gets to a similar point so so all of these are kind of like different ways of like filling in that picture I sketched above of like our super high level desiderata, like this, yeah. uh, like desires, I guess I can just say. I'm annoyed at the word desiderata for being overly fancy. Um, <laughs> thingy two would be like, um, we could have the US probably alongside some allies using its geopolitical influence to prevent unsafe AI development or deployment. So very similar, like in some sense, very similar to the prior thing, but now it's not, it's not focused on international institutions. It's like pretty much like a US led regime. Um, this can be with a mix of like export controls on AI hardware, um, trying to like limit the publishing of algorithmic insights. Mm. Um, so again, nuclear weapons is a great analogy to draw on for a lot of this. Like there, there was like a period um, where various nuclear physics, I believe those various nuclear physics research was like mandated to be secret mm. um, because it's like dangerous. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so we could do similar things here perhaps um, and various things of this flavor. Uh, 
And you could also have it be that you like use various surveillance methods, like like you know satellite imagery or like I, I don't know exactly how you do it. It's harder with AI than with nuclear weapons because there's nuclear mm. weapons. It's very nice. There's like this one type of material. Yeah, it is bottlenecks, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like this particular type of material that is specifically radioactive. Like that's yeah. really handy. Whereas this one, like the relevant materials are pretty similar to what's in our laptops and phones. Mm. Um, but there are ways of tracking. Uh, my team's working on some things related to this. Uh, Theory of victory three. This is in no particular order. Would be like. Um, leading corporate labs, so most of the ones at the frontier, or at least enough of the ones at the frontier, like a critical mass, um, come to prioritize safety more, like AI safety and governance and like handling the use, um, like how it's used well. They coordinate among themselves and they implement and advocate for various risk-reducing actions. So this one's not so much led by government. It's like the labs themselves mm -hmm. being responsible and being able to talk to each other. There's various things that could be barriers to this. Like this might actually be a violation of antitrust law, it might be that this counts as them colluding, <laughs> and they might be like legally barred from not racing to the precipice. Mm -hmm. That would be bad. Um, so, like one possible intermediate goal you could have, if you like this theory of victory, is like make sure that antitrust law won't get in the way. Um, I, I don't actually know the details. I'm very much not a lawyer. Um, theory of victory four. <laughs> Sorry, I've I've heard that phrase. I'm very much not a lawyer so many times, like in the last week or so. It's yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so another one would be like you have um, a single lab develops a quote-unquote minimal aligned AGI and uses this to end the acute risk period. So what I mean by that jargon is um, a artificial general intelligence system or just like some very powerful AI. It doesn't really have mm -hmm. to be exactly like AGI quote-unquote that is at the minimal capability level required mm. to do very risk-reducing things. So current systems wouldn't count. But you don't need like some super superhuman thing. Well, like, it doesn't need to be very superhuman, yeah. quote unquote. Um, because the more capable it is, the more risky it is, and maybe the harder aligning it is. Like the worse it is if it's not aligned, and maybe the harder it is to align it. So you want to like keep it like just at that threshold, and then use it for a bunch of nice stuff. Um, is this what people mean when they talk about pivotal acts? Yes, um, but I I don't love the phrase. Sure. Um, the phrase sounds like it has to be a one-shot thing, like it has to be like a single act is the yep. really big deal thing. Um, and also often the examples used seem like unnecessarily like weird or aggressive, yep. um, like melting all GPUs with nanobots or right. something. Um, it could be that like your sort of quote-unquote pivotal act or like pivotal set of actions could be something like set up the international monitoring and right, verification right, right, regime. Right, right. It seems like real damn hard to set up that regime. And if, if, it, like, if I imagine like, okay, what if I was like... Um, three times as smart as I am, and there were a hundred of me, and they mm. didn't have to sleep. Like, Good they'd grief. have a way better job than me. Yeah, <laughs> imagine, so many podcasts. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> um, but they'd have a way easier time than me setting up this treaty regime yeah. and making it effective. Or, like, um, alignment researchers. You could have, like, the AI doing the alignment yeah. research. So it could be, like, some sort of pivotal act thing, but it also could be, like, not what people usually have in mind with pivotal act. Um, and end the acute risk period is sort of, like, we haven't solved the whole problem, but we've at least solved the thing of, like, we can get the intent alignment, yeah. and we can have it be that the intent-aligned AIs don't immediately proliferate and then it's misused in a way that kills everyone. Mm -hmm. So if at least fix that, and then we can like solve phase two next. Mm. Theory of, possible theory of victory number, uh, I don't know, whatever the next number is. Roughly four, obviously. <laughs> um, would be, um, this one's like a vaguer one. It's like, humanity pursues a diverse range of risk reduction methods. It ensures key institutions and norms are adaptable and competent, and it just sort of like muddles through. It's like we don't have one specific see, coherent plan that we can foresee now. It's like we do a bunch of stuff to just make us like generally robust sure. and like at each time step, like each year, we're taking the right actions for that year and we're getting a bit closer to being the right kinds of actors to solve this. So maybe this is just like 
make a lot of institutions more aware of the situation and like more generally good at risk management and like improve information security in a bunch of places and try to like set up like like uh, one term that's sometimes used that's kind of relevant is defense in depth. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also called like web of prevention or the Swiss cheese model. Mm-hmm. Um, one example is like like bio-risk. Um, so basically we, we don't want it to be like there's this one thing that stops the pathogen from spreading. Right. And we don't want it to be like even if that one thing is great, there's probably some hole in your armor. Like there's probably like some way that um, the issue can get around. But if instead you're like, I'm, I have 20 distinct right. layers. Like lots of slices of Swiss cheese. I yeah. can't find a hole through. Yeah, there's no, there's a lot of holes in Swiss cheese, but yeah. there's no one hole that goes through the whole thing. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, I'm not right. a Swiss cheese expert. Nor <laughs> <a lawyer>. um, <laughs> Neither a lawyer nor a Swiss cheese expert. I'm what sorry. Are you, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very interdisciplinary field. Right. Um, so, so yeah, we, we want like many sort of uncorrelated, uncorrelatedly crappy mm. defense mechanisms mm. that like add up to something really good. So this could be like, yeah, um, uh, I have a researcher working on a report related to this. Uh, that can the defense in depth thing doesn't have to just be in that one. You can do defense, defense in depth for any of the. Mm-hmm. That's just in general, you should do defense in depth. Okay, cool. So these are lots of quote unquote theories of victory, which are something like high level stories about how we get to this good outcome that mm-hmm. isn't catastrophically bad. Um, I might just try saying them all back for some sense of completeness, making sure I'm not getting mm-hmm. anything wrong. So first you had uh, the idea of an international multilateral monitoring and enforcement agency, a bit like what the IAEA is to nuclear security, Mm -hmm. but for AI, uh, you might call it the IAIA. Um, One tweak there, uh like I, slightly pedantic, but also important. I use Mm -hmm. the term regime. I don't want to be pegged to like an agency. Ah, It could be like, there's a suite of 10 different things that are all like interlocking. That is really useful, yeah. Um, okay, a second thing was the thought that the US or U- US-led um, uh, coalition uh, might use geopolitical influence to just stop unsafe mm-hmm. AI development. Third thing is not national actors or governmental actors, but rather the leading labs themselves mm-hmm. come to prioritize safety. Maybe they come to coordinate among themselves um, and they reduce risks from AI amongst themselves, yeah. maybe through slowing down, maybe through implementing um, safety measures. I, I should, yeah, I should have mentioned on that one, like a way that, so correct so far, sure. good job. Yeah. Um, a, a way that that is often imagined to work is something like- can in like, fact read bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> um, that like these actors have, um, they initially like sort of have best practices that emerge and yeah. they're like doing a bunch of like nice good things that are best sure. practices. Then these turn into like standards that are set by some standard setting body like the NIST in, in the US. Um, and then that is turned into regulation or something. And at each step, the la- like these like three nicest labs or something will be like, hey, here are our best practices. Please, NIST, say this is an industry standard. And then they're like, mm. hey, the US government, like everyone should be doing this. Please make this regulation, perhaps. Like, so you can have it sort of like gradually become formalized, um, mm. led by these labs advocacy. Got it. Next thing, which is maybe the fourth thing, maybe the fifth thing, mm-hmm. is um, presumably a single lab reaches quote-unquote minimal aligned AGI, which is something which is both aligned and just about, let's say, powerful enough to help humanity get to a safe point, which could include helping get the other things that we've listed Mm -hmm. or something else. Um, And then the final thing was a muddling through story where we just have lots of overlapping, uncorrelated safety measures, which collectively um, turn out to be enough to avoid 
uh, catastrophe. And maybe there are other things which we haven't yeah. mentioned, but that's like a nice menu. Yeah. And all of these would also have to involve crap loads of alignment research. Right. Um, I just didn't mention that explicitly because that's like common to all of them. Uh, and yeah. you can do this in various ways, but this is all like ways of like setting up an environment in which lots of alignment research will happen and can happen and will be used. Maybe before even jumping to intermediate goals and more concrete things, I'm curious, like on this um, level of theory of victory, do you feel that there's any tension between any of these theories or can all of this be done in parallel? One tension that like maybe um, arises is something that is US-led versus something that is multilateral and international. I can imagine in some ways in which these work against each other. I can imagine in some ways in which it is very complementary by just getting one really big and influential country on board yeah. really helps with the second thing as well. But yeah, I'm curious before we even dive any further, um, can all of these be done in parallel? Yes. Uh, well, I, I, yes, I acknowledge the question. Uh, <laughs> and the answer is like, it's complicated. Like, like yeah. some yes, some no. And it's a really important question. So um, I think I'll, I'll take uh, jumping to meta, what, hopefully, maybe one last time. Yeah, um, sure. How I want people to think about, uh, so th this, this will answer your question. Mm. How I want people to think about um, AI risk is something, AI governance is something like try to figure out a portfolio of theories of victory, ways this could maybe go, this could all go well, that, um, that seem plausible. Like, what are the candidates? Try to figure out roughly how much weight to put on each of them. Like, how much do you, like, sort of believe that each one should be what the community or you focus on? Mm. Uh, which isn't exactly about which one's most likely to succeed, because it could be that one of them's more likely to succeed, but doesn't really need our help. Um, or it's more likely to succeed, but it's most relevant to worlds that aren't that risky anyway. So, you're, you're, yeah, you're focused on, like, the ones that are, like, it's highest leverage for us to work on. Mm. Um so you have like some weights for each of them. So you may be like, okay, I'm 20% focused on like the US-led thing, 15% on the international coalition, 10% on the lab-specific, so on and so on. Um, then you try to figure out like what does what do each of these imply? Um, mm. And you try to get like one level more concrete and into the intermediate goals. So like if I was trying to do the US-led coalition that um, like uh, it sets to, uh, monitors and enforces a um, regime in which like risky development and deployment doesn't occur and safe work can be done, safety work can be done. Um, if I was trying to set that up, what are like the goals I would pursue? So maybe there's like five to 30 like big picture goals you'd want to mm. do. So in that case, that could include things like, I want there to be, um, I want it to be that at a certain point, the US government is really bought into AI risk being a big deal. They don't need to be bought into long-termism necessarily, but they need to be bought into AI risk. They need to like understand it sufficiently well they need to understand that a big part of the risk is like it can blow up in your face and it's not just about like who is in charge. Mm. They need to, th th there needs to be the technical mechanism sufficient to monitor where, like what AI development is occurring um, and to enforce that it doesn't happen in bad ways. So this could be something to do, like there could be um, like ways that you track the AI chips and constrain how the AI chips are used, for example. Um, yeah, so you have all these intermediate goals and you figure out like, okay, given this theory of victory, what are the goals that are really useful to pursue and how useful is each one to pursue? And then final layer mm. is you have like the really concrete actions. So you're like, okay, well, I've, I've identified that one intermediate goal is like um, hardware level ability to monitor where the AI chips are and maybe to constrain how they're used in order to like allow for like good treaties or whatever to happen. Mm. Um, how does one do that? Like what, what are all the like actual concrete actions? like? 
what companies do we talk to? What agencies do we talk to? What do we ask them to do? What are the concrete asks that we have? So we have this sort of like three layer thing where you have a portfolio of theories of victory and how much weight we put on each of them. Given each theory of victory, we have a portfolio of intermediate goals and how much like they help each theory of victory. Mm-hmm. Given each intermediate goal, we have a portfolio of actions and how much they help. And I kind of imagine this is like some sort of like tree diagram-ish thing. Yeah, yeah. Then the way this connects to your question is many. Uh, so you also think about what intermediate goals are bad for a given theory of victory mm-hmm. and what actions are bad for a given intermediate goal. Um, many intermediate goals are relevant to multiple theories of victory, either with the same sign or with opposite sign. Yeah. Um, so, for example, the US-led and the, inter- and the multilateral thing both share it's really important that we have an actual way of monitoring where the AI is and maybe constraining how it's used. Um, so, uh, some research on like hardware level ways of like tracking this sort of thing, uh, that sort of research would actually be like p- positive for both. So, if, if I'm like undecided between those two theories of victory, mm. um, I'm more excited then, so if, if, I, if I just noticed the US-led thing, I'd be like moderately excited about um, these hardware level mechanisms. Mm. But if I also notice the multilateral option, I'm like, oh, there's like two ways this could turn out to be really useful. Mm. And I'm very happy about that. Right. Yay. Like it's not quite a perfect tree in that parent nodes mm-hmm. connect into child nodes uniquely. Like some of the bottom nodes, which are like yeah. the most concrete things can help or maybe not help yeah. for like multiple yeah. high level things. Yeah. And so I'm kind of imagining like red and green arrows yeah. of like different thicknesses yeah. at each level or whatever. Beauty of the mm. podcast format yeah. is very <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. I mean, we can, we can get Dali or something sure. to like yeah. make this diagram. We just like give it all that text and be like, please help. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, see, AI can help for governance research. Yeah, okay. um, but, but, so, but then in contrast, like one concrete example where that doesn't happen is something like... Um, uh, things like the... U- <sighs> In October, the US did like quite intense export controls related to AI chips and chips in general mm. on China. Um, this is probably good for the US-led regime thingy because it means that it's more the case that um, like like more AI R&D capabilities, like a higher fraction are just in the US and the West now. It's harder for China to compete in that respect. Mm. Um, however... It's probably bad for the multilateral thing because it like really increases tension. It's like a it's like a really like intense aggressive move in some ways. Um, this could go the other way because it could mm. be this increases the U.S.'s leverage. It's now like, well, look, you've you've got to go with us now. Mm. Yeah, you've got to join this regime. Um, but yeah, it, it could could be bad in that way. Another example would be like um, increasing government awareness to AI risk could be bad for the thing where we want leading corporate labs to self regulate. Because it could be that governments get overexcited in a silly way. They don't really understand the technical details. They don't really understand what the labs need, mm. and they like like butt in really fast and like get in the way of efforts for, of the labs to like actually tinker around and find best practices, and then gradually make them rigid. Right. Like we right. might make them rigid way too fast and in the wrong form. It could more strongly intervene with the like single lab develops minimal aligned AGI and de- and deploys it in a useful, safe way. Um, because it might be that the it might be governments like get yeah they just get overly involved. Um, Ultimately, uh, any given action in this space will probably have some plausible story of how it could be harmful. Mm. And you shouldn't not act just because there's some plausible story. But you should try to figure out like what seems most net positive and also talk to other people to avoid unilateralist curse mm. and, and be most wary of hard to reverse actions. So I really like this kind of uh, tree framework. I think that's really useful and clarifying. I'm 
really curious about how our previous conversation about urgency fits on top of this, because I can also imagine that this isn't just static, that we have some kind of fixed credences applied to each theory of victory, but that these change over time. And I'm curious how that caches out in terms of uh, intermediate goals or concrete actions, where there are some concrete actions that we need to take now with our best guesses, mm -hmm. versus there are others that we can like kind of punt to the future and wait until we've kind of seen how our theories of victories or our credences on theories of victories um, update over time. Um, because that also seems to be like an important dynamic that you can like maybe place on top of this. And from that as well, not just um, in the object level, uh, what policy or what thing should I be pushing for on, but also in terms of, you know, where is the value of information to be gained from, from doing research here? Which kinds of disagreements between different theories of uh, victory should I be focusing on? Uh, because there again, uh, one really important framing isn't just what is like the biggest disagreement between different th theories of victories, even once you've adjusted. Um, for how much credence you assign to both the argument and the counter-argument, but also when does this disagreement concretely matter um, in each step of each uh, theory of victory, uh, where disagreements now feel much more important to resolve than, than disagreements later. One nice thing is that, yeah, like in theory, we can plug in all the numbers. Mm. Like we're not actually going to do this and the numbers wouldn't be super robust. But in theory, we could plug in all the numbers and just like sort of get an answer of like, now that we've aggregated our views, this might not be correct, but like this is what our views imply mm. as to like which actions are like most net positive in expectation or like highest expected value, um, given all these theories of victory and stuff. And then yeah, like sure, we don't know how our beliefs are going to change, but we at least now have like a rank order of what seems best now. Mm. And this is like our best guess. And like while we figure out what like while we improve our picture, we can start executing on these. Um, a related like another point in favor of acting now or like like an, an urgency thing that feels separate and might be what you have in mind but it feels separate to me is like some actions like if we have two actions that are equally good but one can just be done later and one is instead a thing that needs a lot of setup time like there's some actions that mm -hmm. need a lot of calendar time they can't just be rushed at the end mm -hmm. I, th I think like a, a big thing that's going on with ai risk in general is i believe that probably um things are going to look quite different before it's too late to help. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's often this term of crunch time of like, there's this period where it's often not very well defined, but um, the way I would define it is something like um, a period of unusually high urgency, um, strategic clarity, and extent to which the world's already paying attention. Uh, right now, a lot of people are kind of asleep to this risk or they're kind of awoke just recently to some version of it, but not really. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not super urgent. Like I think we've probably got more than five years. Um, still not great, um, but not super urgent. Uh, it's not like two weeks from now, it's all kicking off. And also it's not super clear what to do. At some point, I think it'll be much clearer what to do and um, more urgent. And some actions we can sort of wait till then. And then we can like chuck a hundred people at yeah. them like really fast and like parallelize the work. Um, some actions need serial time. So one thing right. that might need serial time is like setting up a treaty. So I believe that we should be less excited about setting up a treaty than about some of like lab led stuff. Like I think the treaty thing is less likely to succeed in a really big way. Um, I think I'm pretty unsure about this and I have some researchers working on related things, or at least one. Um, but the lab thing is kind of easier to rush at the end. Like basically corporate mm -hmm. actors are like faster moving and like, um, changing norms is kind of faster than like setting up like actual rigid, um, structures between like a huge number of actors. Uh, so we should like work on treaties a bit more now than we would otherwise think, given the fact that they right. need the lead time, I think. Because it's harder to parallelize. Yeah, so we can't, like, yeah, we can't just rush it at the end. Like, if it's to work, we probably need to start soon. 
Mm. Um, so if we put some weight on it, we need to do some of the work starting now. Uh, and then and, and it's plausible. So another thing is like you can drop later. So there's this. Um, yeah, you ask something like, should we be like doing a bunch of theories of victory in parallel? And I think like to some extent, yes. Uh, I think it's like plausible that in four years we find out we should be even more pessimistic about the treatise thing than I am right now. Mm. I still think that we should have some people working on it now. And then we can just like in four years stop. Yeah. So like there's some chance that we want to actually like carry this through to the end. And if we do, it's really it's important to have started a bit now. Um, and so we can start that now. And it's like it, it, it could be like ex post, like after the fact it was a waste, but still ex ante it's the right call. Um, this will be the case with some things. Like there will be some strategies that we like in expectation definitely should be trying now. Some of them will turn out to be silly and then we should be ready to pull our resources away from them. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Nice. I am going to ask uh, another unwieldy meta level big question um, because for the last 20 minutes or so, I think we've been talking within a framework which begins with high level outcomes, then starts talking about what we've been calling theories of victory, then it comes up with um, what we've been calling intermediate goals and they interact in various ways. Um, but I take it this is not the only framing framework you could use. And I'm curious to ask more about what other or related kinds of frameworks seem useful for just figuring out how to make progress on this stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I believe we'll talk about intermediate goals. And so then people we will, will, in fact, finally yeah. get concrete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, or at least intermediately concrete. <laughs> um, so yeah, one other framework that I'm quite excited about is basically just flipping the exact thing yeah. I said, and now it's threat modeling. Um, so now it's like, how could it all go wrong? Mm -hmm. uh, and one way you could do that is like pretty much the way, the like three level, three diagram-ish thing of like, mm -hmm. What are the high level stories of how this all goes really badly? And then like, what are like the main ways that that could happen or that we could fix that? And then what are the main like concrete actions that implies? So maybe maybe like one high level story is something like labs. I haven't actually tried this very much. I've mostly tried the theories of victory thing. So I'm like on the fly. Um, labs try to like, like they rush intensely due to profit motives um, and they don't really understand the deceptive misalignment issue or like let alone the like long reflection type thing. Uh, and so therefore everything goes awfully. That would be like one. And then another one could be something like um, they do, like at least a couple of them do understand they are quite responsible, but there's at least a couple other races. And so they correctly, but catastrophically make the choice to keep racing. Mm. Another one would be something like at some point governments get heavily involved in a like kind of militarized way. Um, and, and then they are doing the rushing. Another one could be like, we get to a point where proliferation is so like, um, there's too much being published. There's been too much compute progress such that now random university labs can also develop the really dangerous things. Mm. And so now we're, we're destroyed by just like the massive proliferation rather than like a small set of actors racing. And then each of those threat models would like imply a set of like things that need to be fixed for that. Um, people often do this in the technical alignment space of like, like, like tr trying to follow through the like flow chart of like what, but by what steps could we end up with the AI destroying everything? Um, or take taking over. Mm. Um, if you do this, yeah, I think a flowchart thing is a good way of doing it. So you can you can try to be like, okay, what what are the steps involved in this way it can all go wrong, and then and then think about points of intervention. Like try to break the arrows. Um, mm -hmm. Try to make it so that those steps don't happen. You can do the same with theories of victory. Like map out the like flow diagram of like how can we get this international regime 
um, and have it be successful and have it then be that like the long reflection thing happens and try to like yeah. actually uh, map out all the steps and then try to be like, where could this fail? Like which arrows might break by default? And let's like, let's strengthen those arrows. In the same way for threat models, you can be like, where could we make this fail? Like where mm. can we make it that this story dies and that mm. we're okay? One thoughts is something like, if you thought that the risk, in this case from AI, but I think this generalizes, is especially low and or specific, that is, comes from very specific stories, mm -hmm. then it sounds to me like this approach of threat modeling, that is focusing on how things go wrong and then how to avoid that, mm -hmm. might be more useful than if you thought in some sense it were more the case that the default outcome is is bad and the distinctive things are like the stories in which things go well. I mean, does that sound roughly right? Yeah, I think that sounds roughly right. It's kind of weird. So I, th I, think, that, I think that does sound roughly right. Mm. I think the more I thought... Yeah. However, um, my, actual, my ultimate belief is something like probably we're going to be okay. Yeah. However, um, by default, we're like absolutely screwed. Uh, sure. And how, yeah. I, how I square that is something like I do think this is like a really weird, challenging, unprecedented challenge. Um, yeah. And I think in order to fix this, a lot of things need to happen. However, uh -huh. I think they will. Um, a significant part of that, I think, like personally, I believe a significant part of why is because there's existential risk sure. focused community that will grow. Also, a bunch of other people will work on it. But it means that, like, I actually do think the way it goes well has to be kind of intricate. I don't yeah. think it's just like, like, if we just, if we, if we just like naively extrapolate the current world, everyone dies. Yeah. Um, however, that that's not how things are going to go, and so therefore, like the theory of victory framing can still be pretty useful. But but yeah, right. I basically so maybe the more useful question is how like intricate and distinctive and crisp are mm -hmm. uh, the ways of either avoiding the risks or moving towards the the yeah. victories rather than likelihoods because that that gets complicated. Yeah. Mm. Although although really, I just think you should like just like uh, sort of like all models are flawed, some are useful. Sure. Yeah. Mo trying multiple uncorrelated lenses is helpful. So I I'd want I mean I want some people to just like hear my concrete actions soon and then like start doing policy work or whatever yeah, like some people yeah. suit that but people who are doing the researchy thing i want them to like spend at least a bit of time on the theory of victory lens at least yeah. a bit of time on the threat model yeah. lens mm. sounds good what what kind of um skills or approaches do you think are like concretely useful here yeah toolkits that seem helpful uh i mean to some extent that like so one thing is you can try to do the strategic clarity research that mm. is at this like high level and is like trying to actually do the theory of victory thing or the threat models or thinking like what does a given theory of victory or threat model imply or just what does the future look like in order to like to diffusely like instead of trying to flesh out a given theory of victory you can figure out what are the shared uncertainties between them so it could be that like one uncertainty is how competent would government be um if made aware of this stuff or something and so then you can do research on that if you're doing that kind of research, I think some things that are really helpful is sort of um, what's sometimes called quote unquote good judgment, mm. um, which means something along the lines of like, you can take a messy, fuzzy question and break it down into sub questions and lines of evidence and like potentially important factors and considerations mm. in a reasonable way that doesn't miss really big considerations, doesn't treat and, and effectively misses the ones that don't really matter and has a rough sense of like how important different sub-questions are. So that then you can like spend three weeks on one sub-question and two days on another in an appropriate way rather mm. than getting rabbit-holed for two years. Um, that seems pretty important 
and, and reasoning transparency, which I guess we talked about on our last yeah. podcast. And there's, there's a good blog post, so I won't go into detail, but pretty much just like trying to be very clear in your writings of like, what do you believe and why do you believe it? Mm. Which sounds obvious, but is like, I claim like very rare that people actually do this very well in the wild. Um, in the wild being like outside of people who are consciously thinking about the yeah. term reasoning transparency. Um, uh, but there's a lot of other research that is more narrowly scoped that is still very helpful and supportive. Um, yeah. And so you can do research that's instead like just what is the best mechanism for setting up a given type of treaty or like uh, given like what risk management practices or corporate governance do we want a lab to do? Yeah. Um, and if you're doing that, then like the toolkits look a lot more like normal research mm. and it's just like be generally good at research, be good at literature reviews, have a lot of knowledge of the topic you're working in, yeah. be good at like identifying the relevant papers and experts and reaching out to them and getting insights from them. I don't know if that quite addresses your question. No, that definitely does. I mean, first off, I like the distinction between, um, or, or maybe clarification between there's just a lot of different types of research that you can do that are valuable. But I think, um, especially the first thing um, you, you spoke to, I think was concretely answering my question, which is um, a lot of this big strategic stuff feels really fuzzy and feels really hard. And I wonder what concretely useful work in this area looks like versus not useful work. Uh, looks like, and I think you 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 spoke to that, or at least um, acknowledged like what some kinds of distinctions are, um, because I do think that, um, or I didn't mean to imply that this, uh, you know, maybe more narrative or kind of near casting approach um, isn't the best thing to do in this scenario. I think you're right in like drawing the parallel between like companies and stuff here, but exactly how you approach that feels pretty important. Um, yeah, and there, I guess your your point about like reasoning transparency and stuff made sense yeah. as well that other people can can engage with it. Yeah, and and like adding to the companies thing, it's sort of like like there's this thing where um, people who are in government making policy decisions often look at academics as like sort of like eggheads dealing with like overly abstract problems, moving way too slowly. Yeah. And like what what's really needed on the ground is something like like a, a, a like messier, mixed methods, fast paced thing. Because when you're actually dealing with like the non-scoped down bottom line like what do we actually do mm. that doesn't fit neatly into a given field usually and it doesn't fit it doesn't fit neatly as the next step in a given research paradigm yeah um and so therefore like your answers just will be worse than the academics answer to whatever question they've got but in some sense the question is more important or whatever yeah. kind of um there's a place for both so like we, we should do the research that is like slow paced and is like <laughs> very careful and rigorous and is answering like a um a slightly made up question that's like okay assuming these like five plausible assumptions what should then be done given this like abstract toy model of the world mm. but also sometimes you need to do the research that's like okay next year what's our plan yeah. um yeah okay so we've been talking for a while now at a fairly high level about how you might think about making progress on ai risk reducing it um, but let's, <laughs> all about those nuances. Um, but let's get a little more concrete now and talk about some intermediate goals uh, that you could uh, work towards. And a first question might just be, you ran a survey about intermediate goals. Can mm -hmm. you tell us about that? Yeah. So I guess I should also mention, like, wh who was the survey of? Because um, mm. <laughs> it, was, it was like, passes by, I got five. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so th this was a survey of, uh, it was sent to about 230 people who have specialized to some extent for thinking about existential risk from AI. Mm -hmm. So they're either professionally focused on this, 
or they aren't necessarily like focused on existential risk, but they like know a bunch about it, um, that sort of thing. Uh, about a hundred of them answered. I think it was 107 in the end who answered it. Uh, I think they spent uh, several hours each on average. Um, the field is very uncertain. So like everything should still be taken with a big grain of salt, but mm. it's like a semi-expert survey to the extent that we have experts. Uh, and when did the survey happen? Um, so the survey was in around um, October and November of 2022. Uh, so it was like some relevant things that happened around then or since then that is worth kind of having in mind. Mm -hmm. um, I think almost all the responses were after the, there was some October export controls that were a very big deal. Um, and most of the responses uh, were able to bear that in mind. And maybe it was like also very salient at that time. Mm -hmm. The responses were before the collapse of FTX, mm -hmm. um, which has some relevant things right, right. to the funding landscape and also to like how much we can like rely on a strategy of like have some really nice aligned people who like accrue a bunch of influence and like we can trust them to use it well. Sure. Yeah. Um, happened before G chat GPT and happened before um, GPT-4 uh, and before a bunch of like recent things that, so, so this is, um, some things in the survey were like surprisingly to me interested in like public advocacy type stuff or like advocacy type stuff in a way that would be less surprising right now. Um, but at the time, that that was like a pretty new thing. Uh, whereas now the public is already more talking about this. In the survey, we, what we did is we both give, gave them um, 53 intermediate goals that like we had come up with, basically, like um, the people who had helped develop the survey in the first place. And then also had like an open-ended question at the start and at the end about like what else is good. Um, and yeah, some things that emerge from our list as like especially exciting. So, so th this this doesn't fit into the tree diagram thing I said because we didn't ask them to like condition on various theories of victory. I can come up with my own speculations. Um, one is like increasing. So th these are like some of the top ones that people were pretty excited about on average. Um, increasing the security and monitoring of very large compute clusters globally. Um, so a compute cluster is like, as far as I understand it, mm -hmm. it's like a whole bunch of AI hardware, um, like AI chips that are somewhat specialized for AI purposes. Um, that are like located very close together or interconnected or whatever. Um, this is pretty important for doing leading like cutting edge training runs, like developing cutting edge AI systems generally includes uses a, a huge amount of compute and it should be specialized. So it wouldn't be like the sort of thing you use on your laptop. Mm. You maybe can do it with that, but like um, the most efficient way, the most cheapest way isn't that. So it could be really important to make sure that those um, clusters are very secure and also we know where they are. Um, in order to facilitate things like treaties, etc. Another thing would be increasing the extent to which people in top corporate labs in democracies believe that AGI or similar similarly advanced AI poses massive threats. So mm -hmm. it poses very strong risks. Um, there's like various obvious ways that that could potentially be helpful. Generally, like if the people building the very dangerous thing know that it might be very dangerous, um, that seems potentially helpful. Mm. But does also kind of link to the attention hazard point yeah. before as well, that this presumably needs to be conveyed carefully. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, so I actually found it interesting. Like one interesting takeaway from the Intermediate Goals survey is that at least among these people, um, like these surveyed participants, there were some things people mostly agreed are on average good. Uh, even like everything listed had like significant plausible downside risks. Sure. But still, like even in the face of significant plausible downside risks, it can still be that something's net positive expectation. Um, a, a thing though to flag that, like there's a lot of caveats, like people should check out this report on the forum. There's like a whole limitation section, obviously. Um, one important caveat is the question wasn't, is it good to do this? Mm -hmm. The question was, 
if Open Philanthropy specifically um, spent $5 million per year for at least five years um, on this goal, how excited or worried would you be about that? Um, I think that was the phrasing. Uh, so this means that they people probably think a lot of other people could do a lot of harm by trying to pursue these goals. Mm. But it's like they think if Open Philanthropy, which they probably treat as like fairly sensible and like would usually fund the good careful thoughtful things so so that they're not that we tell them don't condition on the fact that open philanthropy said this is good so don't just like defer to them but do imagine they would do it as sensibly as they normally do things got it um so still like all of these goals are kind of worrying um like if, if just like wildly swung at um but like if you have a sensible effort people yeah there, there were things where like the community on average is like yeah let's go like mm -hmm. let's not just hang back forever like there are some things we can start on mm -hmm. Um, it's also worth noting, like, the attention hazards thing, I think, is a bit less worrying if you work on top labs. Yeah. Because they are already decently aware of this stuff. Um, I'm most worried about attention hazards, generally, when it comes to, like, governments or really, um, like, highly successful entrepreneurs in other areas or things like that. People who aren't very aware of this stuff, but can do really big moves if they mm. become aware of it. Um, number three, uh, or, like, a, a third one in this, like, top bucket Um is increasing US or UK government spending on security features in AI chips. And just to clarify, this is roughly the top ideas in terms of overall levels of excitement, according to this survey. Yeah, of the 53 that we gave them, um, yep. and for Open Philanthropy spending on this. Yep. Which is just, like, the reason we use that is because Open Philanthropy is one of the biggest funders of, like, AI risk-related sure. things. So, like, a key hopeful user, like, hopefully a key user mm. of this would be them helping decide on their Got grant it. making. Um, yeah, so security features in AI chips, uh, I won't bother trying to explain exactly what's going on there, but it's it's something like it seems kind of probably bad if these chips can be hacked into. It mm -hmm. also seems probably good if these chips have features such that you can like um, determine without being in the data center that stores the labs, uh, uh, stores the chips. Data centers are basically big buildings that have like mm -hmm. a whole bunch of chips. Um, it seems good if like without being physically in those data centers and having a person walk around and like look at things, you can like tell where chips are and yeah. like how they're being used. Um, probably. Mm -hmm. The image I have here in my mind, or I think the analogy I've sometimes heard, is similar to car registers and stuff. Is that roughly right, or is that do you mean something different? Yeah, something like that. And and you and then you can also do things like chip companies having to have like a know your customer policy. Mm -hmm. Um. So so in the same way, that, I, I don't know the details, but something like I think banks aren't meant to like store terrorist money, and that's like naughty and bad. And mm. so they're meant to do like know your customer stuff. So they like check that you're not a terrorist before you like open a bank account with them. Got it. Um, in a similar way, like here, the worry isn't so much terrorists, at least for now. It's like reckless labs. Um, so you might want to do a thing where like if the labs aren't doing the appropriate things, like firstly, you need to know who has your chips. Like don't just like sell in random ways and then they can be sold on. Mm -hmm. um, right now, that's fine. But like if and when we have a treaty, we would want to know where the chips are in order to allow that treaty to be enforced. Got it. Um, another one would be improving, like a separate intermediate goal would be improving lab coordination, like improving coordination among the top labs at these, um, like, uh, yeah, make, making sure that they at least roughly understand like each other's views and they like can talk to each other. They have like some minimal level of trust, um, that they have like, uh, enough dialogues that like in theory, they could gradually work towards agreeing on some best practices or standards or self-regulation and things like that. Um, a, a lot, a lot of the reason for some of this so sort of thing is like, um, it seems hard for governments to regulate um, cutting-edge technology development mm. in a really effective way that isn't just like sort of blindly slowing it, but is like trying to like make it safer. Um, because 
like this stuff is moving really fast. Yeah. Like the, the technology is advancing quite quickly. Um, the people with expertise on it can make a, a huge amount of money in industry. So it's like pretty hard for government to hire the people who really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And government policy usually takes quite a while. So it might be like really valuable to have industry self-regulation because the labs do know what they like. They they don't really get the risk argument or they, they don't they aren't like bought into it in the way I'd like them to be. Um, but they do. They know a lot about AI. They obviously know more about AI than me. They know more about AI than governments. Um, and self-regulation can move faster because it doesn't need to like pass through loads of things. It, it maybe yeah. can move faster. So, yeah, may, improving lab coordination like kind of in itself achieves nothing, I think. But it can be like a plank that can then allow you to do a bunch of other nice stuff. A lot mm. of these, yeah, th- these are these are all like feeding into those theories of victory, and yeah. you have to like add up these five planks, and then you can like get something good going on. Got it. Okay, that that's a few of them. Any other top ideas? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch. People can check on the um, uh, effective altruism forum this like whole report. But like one other I'll mention is reducing the odds of great power conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like things will probably go worse if there's like a hot war between two great powers i mean cold war also bad but like hot war mm. extra bad yeah um like there's a bunch of reasons for this um one is that like as we mentioned earlier there is a decent extent to which actors who understand the situation will be decently self-interested in making the risk not happen mm because um, it can blow up in their own faces and also there's like the thing in between self-interest and like proper long-termist wide moral circles altruism of just like care about the 300 million people in your country yeah um that can get you a decent amount of the way towards safety however if you feel that you're at war if you are at war um then it might now seem like well we need to like play with fire to some extent um and i do not want that like in this analogously like the obvious now again nuclear weapons are yeah. always like looming large in the back of, back of one's mind um the U.S. government did some pretty risky stuff with nuclear weapons during World War II, and like it's see, it, I really doubt they would do that during peacetime. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they would have done that during the Cold War. Mm. Um, but like when there isn't like a, 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 a another superpower they feel like quite threatened by, um, it seems very unlikely they would do that sort of thing. And and like the, the obvious thing is like just like build the weapons and then like actually launch two on cities yeah but also there was this thing discussed in the precipice um where they like some of the scientists in the manhattan project said that if you like blow this up there's like some i can't remember the details sure. like sometimes yeah. like everything goes awful and we're not quite ignites sure the app. yeah ignites the atmosphere and 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 it, people were saying it's a very low chance and the scientists were disagreeing and one of the scientists was like basically no chance um but i think one of them was saying something like 10 percent uh, yeah. and they they did it <laughs> and it, yeah, it went fine like it turns right. out it was fine like um but like that's a pretty big risk and i don't think they would do that under normal conditions and that's the sort of situation we're playing with here where like probably if you press this button it's gonna be okay um but please like wait two years and check yeah, yeah. i mean just stepping back or something it's kind of insane that one of the intermediate goals here is you know prevent world war three or something I'm sure we could easily have an episode's um, worth of content here just like trying to disentangle that into its yeah. own like sub goals and inter intermediate goals or something yeah. here as well. Um, but I'm like glad, glad you mentioned it and yeah. also showing how a lot of this like intersects with like other causes. Yeah. Um, if you do take presumably the AI and like X risk angle here um, mm-hmm. seriously as well. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think this is an important point of like, as I mentioned earlier, I think this is like the biggest story going on and I think it's going to just like touch so many parts of the world and so many parts of the world will touch it. And, and there is like a lot of different goals and they're quite disparate and almost everything everyone is working on 
has pretty low relevance directly to this. It's like not um, like everyone as in like 8 billion people. Um, but uh, even when you filter down to the things that are really useful, they're very disparate. Like there's a lot of different types of fields and work types and backgrounds that can help with this. Um, and so just like loads of people can slot in in some way. You can't just choose randomly. If you choose randomly, probably what you're doing is like just pointless. And maybe what you're doing is net negative. But if you're like decently sensible, you can still find a thing that fits you. Pretty good chance. Like I think like I would guess that like uh, most listeners to the podcast can do something like quite helpful here of some form. Mm. Okay. So on this survey, were there any intermediate goals or kinds of goal which you just didn't include in that long list of roughly 50 mm -hmm. things? Yeah. So... So one thing is just like most goals that we don't think are good ideas, we didn't put in. We did put in some that we don't think yeah. are good ideas, but most of the ones we don't yeah. think are good ideas. And we were focusing somewhat on things that like plausibly a funder can spend money on. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that's really worth noting is that we deliberately excluded something. We were trying to focus on things that are somewhat sort of like a concrete thing you can do sure. rather than just like a, a very, very diffusely helpful thing. Which means that we, in particular, excluded field building and forecasting style things. I mean, we had a couple that were forecasting style, but not many. So we didn't include many goals that were... We, we didn't include things like just generically more research on what the future of AI will be like. Yeah. And we didn't include goals that were like... Um, like a thing that actually is very important, but it's kind of obviously important. So it's less important to survey of just make it more the case that in each future year, and especially during mm -hmm. like quote-unquote crunch time... Uh, there is a larger, more expert, better networked community with expertise in a whole bunch of relevant things and with influence in a whole bunch of relevant mm -hmm. things. Uh, that is great, um, but I won't like, yeah, just remember that that is great. And like across many cool. theories of victory, that is great. Yeah, that's maybe a nice point is that it does seem robustly good. Yeah. There are details of like exactly what community do you want to build. And like sure. there are also ways that community building could go wrong. Like, um, I mean, Sam Bankman Fried was sort of brought into the Vector Arsenal community by sure. community building, and that yeah. seems maybe bad. Um, totally. But yeah, it's pretty robustly good. Nice. Um, so in this survey, you also asked respondents to just independently elicit their mm -hmm. own ideas, presumably before they had read your long list of ideas, which you asked them to rate. Mm -hmm. Curious what they suggested without being prompted, whether they suggested roughly similar things. Hey listeners, we actually lost a small chunk of Michael's audio here, so we are going to kind of abruptly jump ahead to the first item in the list, which is setting up and supporting third-party AI auditing organizations. Um, this can mean mm. a few different things, but it's something like, it's not like someone other than the AI company mm -hmm. is doing some version of auditing either the models or the company with an eye to risk. Mm -hmm. So in a similar way that you have financial auditing companies that like check your books and you don't just rely on your own company, yep. you have like this external thing and it could be running like evaluations to check like, is this at a dangerous capability level? Or it could be running evaluations that is like, is this at a dangerous misalignment level? Um, so these are distinct. Like sure. it's like, could it deceive us if it wanted to? And also maybe would it want to? Um, or it could be something like auditing the risk management practices of the lab and like the corporate governance practices and like the level mm -hmm. of like mm -hmm. alignment with humanity and like do they have like a mission statement that like um, reflects that their goal is not make the most money next year? Um, do they have like a board structure where like because a lot of companies are like um, I think it's fiduciary obligation mm -hmm. to basically make the most money and there's there's like some exceptions it doesn't like but but pretty much like to some extent they have to 
make the most money um and they're like constrained like if they were like we, we don't want to press this button maybe i want dice it would be like well you're, you're like you're not doing your duty but you don't have to be like that um because if it's like probably you make a bunch of cash then it can be the case that you're not doing your duty if you don't press the button mm -hmm. um but you don't have to do that you can set up different types of companies so any, anyway I mean, yeah th there's this whole tangent, which I'm probably going to cut, but we can like maybe go down into as well, where like open AI, right, is set up in mm -hmm. a kind of insane like governance structure where it's a non-profit open AI owning the for-profit open AI. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which isn't like your typical like yeah. shareholder uh, maximized like profit. Yeah. Set up. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, it's now a, a big deal company. Like yeah. it, it's now like, a like, I, I don't, I don't yet. Yeah, I don't, I haven't checked whether it's profitable, but like, there's like a lot of like investment, a lot of revenue and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And like very, very like potentially profitable things that are owned by a nonprofit. And this, I, I don't know if it's actually going to work, but this sort of thing, I think is a really good sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like a sort of mm -hmm. thing where like, technically they could, if they wanted to, they can stop themselves from doing the horrible stuff. Um, I think you probably need to tighten up, um, but it's a step in the right direction. Mm. So I'm, I'm I'm glad they did that at least. Um, so some other things, uh, some like other intermediate goals. One would be like just trying to slow down progress in AI capabilities. Um, and so again, like the reduced great power conflict, like this then splits into like 50 different inter individual yeah, actions sure. that you could take or whatever, and like touches on many fields, but things like improving the information security practices of labs so that they don't have like people hacking their very profitable things, um, changing publication norms so they aren't just like, go, 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 like as soon as you've got a result, like make it as open as possible. Um, making it that like, yeah, th there's like less investment in this area or whatever, like regulations. There's a lot of things you could do. You mentioned the um, evaluation thing. Would ARC's evaluation of GPT-4 be like an example of like a precedence here? Yeah. Or like a concrete example of what that might look like? Yeah, I think ARC, ARC is currently, so this is the Alignment Research Center headed, I believe, by Paul Cristiano, and I think the evals side, like they call it evals, it's like their evaluations or auditing type mm. thing, and this is auditing of models for capability levels. Yeah. So it's not auditing of labs, mm. it's not auditing of alignment, it's just taking like, does it have the ability to, um, in, in their case, they're looking at survive and spread, which means like, um, uh, can it sort of like replicate itself sure. and like, uh, not get shut down, basically. Yeah. Um, I won't try to say how they do this, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Arc is currently um, a plausible contender for being like a pretty influential third-party AI auditing organization. Mm. And I was very happy to hear they're doing this work. And I was very happy to hear they actually did an eval on OpenAI's leading model. This seems a really positive development for the world. Mm. Like um, GPT-4 is kind of like scarily impressive, and so that's like that's like kind of kind of a scary development for the world. But like hearing that like there's this team that seems to be doing the right kind of thing that was actually given access to this to evaluate it, that seems really nice. Yeah, cool. And we'll add a link uh, to the show note where you can like learn more about. Yeah, that. yeah. There's a really good talk um, at from Effect Horizon Global with Beth Barnes explaining their stuff. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so some other things, just a couple quick other ones. Um, make it likelier that policymakers will make good decisions related to risk from AI. So again, very broad. I mean, the things suggested by respondents were like typically vaguer than what we gave them. Yep. Um, but yeah, just trying to make it that like for the people who will make the relevant decisions, try to make it more likely that they make the right decisions. Yeah. Um, this could be like improving their education on the relevant things, improving their like awareness of the risks, making it more the case. Like you can also just like change who those people are rather than like helping the current people by just like, trying to get people already care about this or already very sensible about it to enter relevant roles. Mm -hmm. um, and another one would be like um, foresight exercises and scenario analysis on like AI progress and AI impacts. So trying to like improve our strategic picture of like 
what's coming, how fast is it coming, what's gonna like what order is it gonna happen in, um, what what's gonna then happen to society as a result, mm. and this just like diffusely helps us um, flesh out that like three layer tree diagram thing, yeah. and then like make a bunch of actions. Nice. Okay, so you've described some intermediate goals that seemed especially good, or at least people independently elicited more than once. Um, I'm thinking, you know, like occasionally uh, on like Reddit and stuff, you can sort by controversial as well mm -hmm. as by top. What about that? What, which ideas were the most polarizing or the, where there was the most uncertainty? Yeah, so th there was a bunch people didn't like. Um, and there was also a bunch that was just like very divisive or uncertain. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, uh, we nicely were able to like assess divisiveness and uncertainty separately because I think they're importantly different, mm -hmm. those two things. But so, yeah, some things that people didn't like inclu included like just increase US and or UK government spending on generic AI R&D. Um, and th there is a plausible story by which that could be good. Uh, but overall, people were like, no, please, please don't. Uh, which is what we expected. Like we had a bunch of goals that were in there that we like thought were probably going to be very low ranked. And we were like interested in checking. And also there are some people who are pursuing this kind of thing, I think, for like roughly existential risk type reasons, who I think are mistaken to do so. Um, and it's like, hand, like so, so some of the goals we put in are like things that we think are probably bad, but that some people are doing. And we want to be able to be like, yeah. hey, look, like the community in general thinks probably don't. Which doesn't mean we're right, but like, you know, sure. like stop and think. Um, yeah, so a bunch of the ones that people thought were bad were either things that like just feel kind of irrelevant to existential risk um, or were like speed up-y things. Mm -hmm. um, then th th we had a measure of robustness. We asked first, how excited are you about each of these goals? And then also, how robust is your answer? Uh, by which we mean, how likely is it that like a fair bit of further research or debate would change your answer? Right. Um, and then we also, though, can separately look at like how much do people's excitement scores differ. So we have both of those measures. Mm -hmm. um, and we basically found like in general, there's a decent amount of disagreement and also a decent amount of like low robustness. Uh, and this sort of suggests that like further debate and research in this area is probably helpful. It's not for sure, because it could be that like it just will remain low robust and like remain disagreement. Yeah. However, um, at least if people are answering properly, it should be the case. Like the robustness one is like actually like would further research move you? Not just like do you feel in some sense theoretically uncertain, but like could you actually change your mind? Um, so yeah, in general, like research like on lots of stuff here would be good. Um, people who might want to do research, I like strongly encourage to. I think this survey report, in my opinion, is like one of the best sort of like two hundred one level. Um, AI governance overviews, so mm, not, nice. not like very introductory, but like useful. Uh, maybe one of the other best 201 will be this episode. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see in post how much you screw up in editing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so people can like dive in and like look at where the robustness was low and where the debate was low. And, and, and some things I'll say on um, what this implies about research, I think like you can do research that's like, how would we do this action? And you can also do research on like, should we do this action? And you can also research on like um, underlying uncertainties that like connect to many actions. I think for how do we do this action, choose the most high excitement, high robustness things. So like reducing great power conflict in general. It seems like people are pretty excited about that. So there, a, cool, a key thing to do is like check like how do we do that. And mm -hmm. um, personally though, I mean, one thing to note is like, I think that's like decently robustly good, but like probably low leverage. Because like a lot of people want to reduce great power conflict. Yeah. It's like pretty hard to do. But like, yeah, the ones that people are very excited about um, try to figure out how to do them. 
then separately find the ones people were really unsure or divided on. And if they're divided, maybe try to like interview a bunch of people, arrange for them to have debates, try to figure out what the cruxes between them are. Mm. If it's like people that aren't massively divided, but they're all just like shrug, man, I don't know, this is like complicated and tricky. Then again, try to figure out why and then like look into that. You mentioned there a lot that there's um, a lot of like disagreement on a lot of these questions. I imagine like more concretely, like what level of disagreement is there? I don't know if there's like a descriptive statistic here or like an analogy, but like how much do people disagree on these things? Yeah. So um, we had a scale for like, um, we had, our robustness scale went from like very low robustness to very high robustness. Um, and the, uh, on average, the answers were like, uh, sort of it roughly in the middle. Mm. Um, this differed between questions. So some questions people were very unsure about. Sometimes that was just because like the goal we gave them was kind of vague. So like one thing people can do in this space is is not just try to look into like how good is this and how good is that, mm. but like just trying to like distill things and be like what even are the options and like let's improve our concepts and things like that. But in any case, yeah. So on average, people were, like sort of medium robustness, pretty open to changing their minds. Um, and and just to be clear, this is robustness within a single person giving an answer yeah. um, as opposed to yeah. disagreements across different people. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so so like a given person on average was sort of like, I'm roughly in the middle in response to the question, like how much would some further research or thinking change your mind? Um, then in terms of difference between people, I don't know how like immediately meaningful the following is, um, yeah. but like the standard deviation in excitement scores, I believe if I'm doing my stats right, it was 1.3. Um, out of what so, kind of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the scale was minus three to three. Okay. So I guess it's a seven point scale. Yeah. Um, so that's not huge, I guess. Like that's like, uh, like a sort of like the difference between close to neutral and a little excited or a little excited and moderately excited. Yeah. Like on average people like disagreed about that much, mm. which suggests there's like an okay amount of consensus in the community. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, but like zooming out of the survey, my like sort of subjective qualitative overall sense mm. is um, people like quite a bit of disagreement. Um, yeah. Like some points where people are like pretty much on board. Like like I think like a lot of people think um, each of accident risk and misuse risk and probably some kind of structural thing mm. are like plausibly quite big deals, but differ a lot on like how big a deal each of them are. Yeah. Um, and, and then things like how much you focus on each theory of victory. I think like most people in the community would think most of the theories of victory I said are plausible and worth thinking about a bit. I think this is my guess, my like subjective read, but would like some of them would be like that one is stupid. Like that's intractable or that's like really reckless and dangerous to even try mm -hmm. for it or whatever. Um, and would differ a lot in like how much they weight them. Some of this is like sort of like fine or something like there's like different cognitive styles and like di different like backgrounds and like we should expect some level of disagreement persists and yeah. that's like healthy and normal and okay but it'll be nice if we at least understood the contours of the disagreements and like what even are the positions or like who does disagree and why because sometimes i think people are like charging off in a given direction without realizing other people are like oh i, I wish they didn't do that yeah. um or they're like holding back because of like a vague miasma of fear and like oh there's downside risks around um, without right, but like actually right, right. some of the actions yeah. like you know like you should have a decent amount of mandate to like go ahead yeah. like talk to three people and then but this action is like probably good and talk to three people about your specific plan and then like go yeah yeah, yeah interesting um cuttable but i would be curious if you construct uh, a confidence interval for like each individual person's answer using their robustness score or something and then just looked at what the correlation was between everyone's 
like confidence will, uh, confidence interval like answer towards people? I would just be curious, like how correlated are like answers or something? I would guess correlated, yeah, um, decently correlated. Yeah, I think that I think that follows from the standard deviation in general in their scores. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a nice histogram. I think I think a more meaningful thing is like someone should open the survey report, yeah. scroll to page twenty three, um, and then um, there's like a set of like forty seven nice pretty histograms that show like how many people said very excited, moderately excited, a little excited, etc. Yeah, uh, and you can just like see visually like what the spread is, and visually it looks like decently big. Yeah. Okay, so in this section you've talked about some of the ideas which did especially well on the survey. You've also talked about a couple ideas which people didn't tend to like. I kind of just want to hear more concrete ideas. So can you just like rattle off some more of these intermediate goals that you suggest in the survey? Yeah, these will be additional semi-concrete ideas rather than increasingly concrete ideas. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so like um, other things in the top 15-ish, which I'll try to just say and not explain any of them and then you can read the survey Great. or like read yeah. around the community. Um, so increasing... US or UK government spending on like a bunch of AI safety type things. So like reliability, robustness, verification, reward learning, interpretability, mm -hmm. explainability. This is something where like people thought probably um, spending more on these AI safety things seems good. Cool. Um, shifting AI publication norms towards don't always publish everything right away. So like trying to have people be a bit more cautious. I think this actually happened a little bit already, but yeah, more of that. Um, increasing or improving education on AI safety and alignment, um, especially in higher education and perhaps secondary school. Uh -huh. um, improving the AI incidents database. There's a particular database that like records sure. bad things that happen, making that better. Um, get better and more measurement of AI safety, security, ethics, societal impact. So like more of a sense of like what's actually happening. Like what is the state of AI safety? What is the state of like um, impacts? Increasing the liability of AI products for harms caused by their products, like AI product providers for harms caused by their products. So like, if your system does something really bad in the world, making it clear or more strongly the case that you are liable for that in order to incentivize you to mm -hmm. make it not do bad things. Um, and then maybe just a couple more. Um, increasing uh, US and or UK government spending on cybersecurity or infosecurity research mm -hmm. and development. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, well, uh, particularly defense, cyber sure. defense. Yeah. Um, the question didn't specify that, but a couple of people were like, please defense. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, or increase safety-focused AI R&D collaborations between AI-leading democracies. So having it be like US and UK labs are doing like alignment research together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess what, one question that immediately comes to mind is um, how should people interpret this ranking in terms of what they should be focusing on, especially maybe when it comes to comparative advantage? Mm -hmm. So for example, if I had this particular interest in cybersecurity, um, but this only ranked, say, I forget the exact number, yep. 15 instead of, you know, number four or something, yeah. um, how big are the differences in how people's consensus is on the importance or like the robustness there that it should sway my comparative advantage to work on one thing as opposed to the other thing? Yeah. So one thing is, um, if you've made it this far and you're interested in that question, dear listener, um, listen to my other episode where we discuss this sort of thing as well. Um, and like a quick version of one thing I say there is like, um, when you're choosing between like cause areas at a very big level, um, I think existential risk and long-termism is better. And uh, it's better on the margin. It can absorb a bunch of people. Do that, please. In my opinion, um, no justification provided here, citation mm -hmm. needed. Um, when you're choosing among the big deal existential risks, it's pretty much personal fit. Mm -hmm. um, I think mm -hmm. like uh, at least bio and AI and also splitting AI into the really big categories of like technical AI safety and AI governance, like technical AI safety, 
AI governance, existential buyer risk. I think they're all about equally valuable on the margin, like very, very roughly speaking, such the personal fit dominates. I think this also applies within the field. Mm. Again, it, at each stage, it's like you have to filter out most things first, but then once you have filtered out most things, so like don't choose between increasing US government spending on AI capabilities or on safety based on personal fit and like, well, I'd be better at writing the bill that says like, let's like pump this thing forward faster. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, um, but like once you filter down to something like, I don't know, the top 20, top 25, um, personal fit probably dominates. And and as you said, there is still a lot of disagreement even amongst like what the yeah. consensus thinks within that like small subset of what the relative ordering is. Uh, yeah, there's a de yeah a decent dis like pe people's ranking like a, a bunch of people would probably put like number one at number twelve and like vice versa or whatever. Yeah, got it. That said, it's also worth noting that each of these goals is itself pretty big. Mm. And so, for example, there might be a lot of very different people who have a strong personal fit for the cybersecurity thing, because there could be a way of doing that via a policy path. There could be a way of doing that via a public advocacy path, via a like actually doing the cybersecurity research path. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, pretty much, I think I think personal fit is like really important. Um, also, it's worth noting that this survey was again about like open fill spending. Mm -hmm. That's a different like how valuable marginal spending mm. is is different from a marginal person. Mm. Uh, some things can absorb talent easier than people. Got it. Or vice versa. Okay, so we've heard this like fire hose of ideas. I want to say mm -hmm. we've heard about 20 ideas. Um, I feel like it might be useful to just kind of re-raise the saliency of like the very best ideas, given that I can imagine it being a bit confusing <laughs> which ones to take away. Yeah, so we could do like just trying to say them. Yeah. Um, like security, monitoring or control of a very large compute clusters globally. Um, increasing the extent to which people in top AI labs and democracies believe that there's like this AGI risk thing. Yeah. Um, increasing uh, government spending on security features and AI chips. Improving coordination between the top few AI labs and democracies, and reducing the odds and intensity odds and intensity of great power conflict in nice. general. Again, bearing in mind this is like if someone spends on this sure. in a sensible way, is it probably good? Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned, um, I think, a really important distinction between capital and labor. Yeah. Um, I think it's like also worth keeping in mind as well that there presumably are also like some institutional or just like physical constraints on what an institution or philanthropic foundation like Open Philanthropy can do versus what people from like, for example, different nationalities, which like operate under like different, mm -hmm. you know, governments and like policy windows within those governments can do. Uh, and also just like generally what like a nonprofit versus a company versus mm -hmm. an individual versus a think tank or whatever can do. Like that also feels yeah. like pretty important. Um, yeah, differences that like change prioritization for people. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's important whether you are a big bag of dollars versus a person. Yeah. Um, and it's also important, like what kind of person, what skills you have and like what nationality you have. Like I don't have the comparative advantage for going into a U.S. national security role yeah. um, because I'm like slightly British and slightly Australian, but like very little American. Um, <laughs> and, and so that wouldn't, I mean, I could eventually get naturalized, but it's like a long path and maybe timelines aren't that long, et cetera. Yeah. Um, a lot of people should go for it though. Uh, and yeah, one concrete example of like how, for example, open fill is constrained and like other people can like, if they happen to have some capacity, like a particular ability, can capitalize on that. One thing is, I believe it's like hard to get funding into India mm -hmm. due to like um, some regulations right. or something. I don't know any of the details, uh, but there's probably like a bunch of nice stuff we'd like to have happening in India. Um, also, it might just be there's not people available to fund right now. So I think at the moment, there's, there hasn't been that much of an existential risk focused community in India. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, like you, there's no given person you could just be like, here's $5 million, like go do good stuff there, please. Um, 
Whereas if you are someone who is in India, um, who has these sorts of skills and interests, um, there might be a bunch of really useful work you can do that OpenField can't fund unless you exist. Um, and maybe can't even fund if you do exist. Yeah. So yeah, it's really important to play to your strengths. It's, it's important to both do like a sort of like, what should the strategy of the community as a whole be? What should our portfolio be? And like, where do I best fit into that? Nice. Cool. Maybe one last question about this survey is, were there any results that surprised you personally? Yeah, I didn't have super precise beliefs hmm. uh, going in. Um, and also the results aren't super conclusive. Mm -hmm. uh, so there, weren't like, there wasn't like this one thing that was like, oh my God, that's like a huge deal surprise. Mm -hmm. I think a key value of the survey is like a general distillation to get a bunch of people up to speed to where I was kind of. There's a bunch of other value too. Mm. Like a lot of other people who like, I'm pretty generalist. So like I knew a bit about loads of things. The survey sort of provides a bit of info about loads of things. Uh, other people who have specialized more can gain more from it perhaps or who aren't in the field yet. Some things that surprised me, um, I don't know if this should have surprised me, but like it feels very notable that there were things that a lot of people did agree on a fair bit. Um, and it felt like here's a mandate to go ahead. Mm. Um, if you're doing a sensible way and you're checking with some people. I think maybe I would have predicted that beforehand, but it's not the vibe you get from the community. I think like for the last couple of years, there's probably been a bit too much of a vibe of like, it's it's super hard to know what to be done here. It's super hard to figure out what to be done here. Mm. Um, which I think both are kind of true, but another thing is like, but it is on fire and no one's trying mm -hmm. um, in the scheme of things, like uh, hardly anyone. And there's like some things that are probably good. Uh, and the survey, I think, helps with the vibe shift towards like, now there are some concrete actions to do. There will increasingly be more concrete actions to do. There is also like some clarity on the contours of where the uncertainty still lies. And therefore now there's concrete research to do. Um, another thing that uh, feels notable, even though not exactly surprising to me specifically, is um, compute stuff stood out a lot. A lot of people are quite excited about a bunch of compute stuff. Um, stuff to do with like increasing the security, of AI hardware, as well as like knowing where it is and things like that. Um, I think there was more enthusiasm about advocacy style things than I thought. And advocacy, not in the sense of like like yelling at the public, but yep. like um like within labs or within governments, um, spreading some of these messages. Um, because this is very risky, and it's been perceived as very risky for a while, and I think it remains very risky. Um, but people are at least excited about like sensible approaches. I, I'm curious, like how much of this focus on uh, compute and advocacy do you think is specifically because these things just happen to align well with the theories of victories and intermediate goals that you spelt out um, as opposed to uh, have to do with like the framing of the survey as well which presumably happened during you know the chips act the fabs uh, act things that were very around uh, compute and very around you know influencing or advocating uh, like the u.s government yeah i think I'm not sure, but I know people were quite excited about compute stuff before the survey as well. So there, there was also like a conference that happened um, among various like senior-ish AI strategy people in September, so a month before the export controls. And already at that, the vibe, this is like a decently closed conference. It's like a sort of like summit-ish thing. Yeah. Um, already at that, the vibe was like, man, we need to be doing this compute stuff. And like, and, and this is like pretty valuable. Um, so I would guess it's mostly just like the community already like is and was enthusiastic about this um, rather than just the salience of that act. And then I think similarly with the advocacy stuff, I think if we ran the survey now, people would probably be more excited about um, the um, raising awareness of AI, AGI risk at 
leading labs and in government. Still, I still think this can be bad in a bunch of ways. Um, and, and more so, I think public stuff can be bad. Uh, but because just the message can get distorted and like polarized mm. and like mm. simplified and and you have a sticky framing, um, but nowadays it's like the public is talking about this. Uh, yeah, and so like some of the risk is being paid whether we step in or not, and it might be good. Like it, it's it's more good now than it used to be to try to say sensible things to governments, to labs, to the public. Maybe just to try to rephrase um, some of what I meant with my point is I think. Um, there's one way in which framing this as salience is kind of, or could be like misinterpreted as like meaning, oh, like, oh, you know, there's like some bias here where because this mm -hmm. is like in the headline now, I prioritize this. Versus I think there's another framing, which is just like, look, there's currently this policy window, which we like have oh. open and therefore can like influence and therefore we should like correctly prioritize this more importantly. Mm. Um, but the key determinant there being like, do what is currently the biggest like policy window, um, yeah. you know, in the world, which like, around fabs and chips might be like more compute things, which around like GPT-4 might be more around like, you know, raising salience of uh, X risk. But yeah. the important like meta lesson from both of those cases there would be um, the like the, the policy window and the like context that the rest of the world is in is what really like matters here for prioritizing as opposed to focusing too specifically on like what a specific theory of change says. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I do think it is the case that right now yeah, I do think it is the case that right now there are windows open on both of those fronts. I think when the survey was taken, to be clear, I think the advocacy style window wasn't yet open really mm -hmm. in a big way. Like like that, that's been a more recent thing. Yeah. Um, I do think it makes sense to somewhat base our actions on the windows being open. And to be clear, window being open, it's partly like there's stuff that it was hard to do before that's now easier to do. Yeah. It's also partly the window will close. Yeah. Um, and in the case of advocacy, it's a complicated one. I think in some sense the window is going to increasingly open. Like I think people are going to like it's increasingly going to be the case that like people recognize. So basically, I claim there's a really big deal thing that most people aren't paying attention to, mm. uh, and I know already. Um, and increasingly, it's going to become increasingly obvious to everyone. At the moment, I sort of like have a head start or something. Mm. Um, however, there's a so in a sense the window is going to open increasingly wide. In another sense, though, the scope of the debate like the scope of public conversation right. on this is going to be like somewhat solidifying gradually i imagine mm. I, i'm not an expert on this kind of thing but like um there's some extent to which like jumping in now can help us frame it in a way that we can't so easily frame it in five years uh once there's already like you know 10 netflix documentaries about agi yeah. risk or something um similar to the compute one all that said um I think high level strategy is more important than what Windows open right now in mm -hmm. some sense. I, that's a sort of under operationalized claim, but I think like I'd be aware of people just chasing the Windows. I think like specializing is really important. Like I don't want people to there's this analogy that I probably used in our last episode when talking about comparative advantage and stuff, um, which is like I remember when I was in primary school, the way people play football or soccer is like everyone at every moment is trying to chase the ball. Um, <laughs> still play it. and that is the, that's the whole strategy um, and that means you don't have people like in position who like when they're needed or whatever uh, and in soccer that's not I guess in primary school soccer no one specializes much anyway in terms of like skill development so it's not too bad mm. um, but in, in like the real world I want, the, I want it to be the case I think there's like 
there's like 50 different things that I want a bunch of people to have become like world class in yeah. in several years. Uh, and I want them to like not feel like tugged towards like, oh, there's compute stuff going on. I need to drop everything and go over there. Yeah. Uh, also, again, just to reemphasize uh, an important difference as well in how shifting money versus, um, alloc- you know, thinking about like where people should specialize on is like pretty different. Like money yeah. is like very fungible. Yeah. Uh, like people and specializing is is not in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think the funders should like, yeah, I agree. They, they The funders should like, it's it's not too hard to like wildly shift your priorities as a funder. Mm. Um, there's some constraints, but as a person, like yeah, like you're going to be much better at this job in four years than you are now. And if like every year you're switching to whatever's best on the margin in theory for someone, um, that's much worse. If everyone's doing that, that's much worse than if people stick around. Also, yeah, the windows might not be open for that long, and um, they might not actually be that important in the scheme of things. I think a lot of the action will happen like at quote unquote crunch time. Yeah. Um, and, and to be clear, I think it's like sort of crunchiness increases gradually rather than like, oh, okay, now April 17th, it's crunch time. Um, it's more like gradually, like mm. things get more and more intense and urgent and uh, up for grabs. So right. I want to be ready to do the good stuff at crunch time. Is that <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, I want to take a bit of a step back now. And the question I have in mind is a bit like this. So you've said more than once that apparently there's something like 100 people only working on this central question of how to reduce existential risk from AI, or at least reduce various kinds of catastrophes that it could cause. Um, and somehow you've ended up in a position of real responsibility, having been a high school maths teacher three years ago, and that's an indication that there is like serious demand for these, these, um, this kind of work. But it also occurs to me that in some sense, there are lots of people working on problems related to AI. There are certainly more than 100 people working on problems around uh, issues related to fairness and algorithmic bias, uh, privacy, um, uh, could almost like certainly go on. And these like strike me as real issues. So how do I like resolve this tension? Um, are these problems related to the thing that you were talking about for the last few hours? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, w- one thing to uh, mention is that it's like roughly a hundred. The the hundred is for the governance side, and there's like something it. like three hundred technical people, technical ASAP people. Um, yeah. So one thing is there's a lot of other people. Like there is indeed a lot of other people doing work that like says AI on the tin, um, but also. There's a lot of other people who are doing work that doesn't say AI on the tin. Like it, it, it's not just the fairness of bias stuff, but it like connects very much to some of those theories of victory or intermediate goals. Yep. Like there's a lot of people working on US-China relations or yep. like great power conflict or like information security or publication norms or like um or like various things of this flavor or like improving like institutional competence among like important government bodies for other reasons. Uh so a question is like, okay, um, how much what one question is how much does that reduce the marginal value of like one new um like former high school math teacher like trying yeah. to jump in and like help out um another question is like how should we interface with these people like how should we orient to them mm-hmm. um should we just like sit in our cave of 100 people and like be like we got this we're gonna mm-hmm. figure this out like please come and join us in here if sure. you want to play our game um but, but like we're just gonna do it um so I think that these other fields reduce the marginal value of AI safety and governance people a like, I don't know, I want to say something like a like small to medium amount. Okay. So my claim is that 
it is pretty important to be focused specifically on the existential risk stuff, mm -hmm. or at least the extreme risk stuff. Like I think I think um, already if you're doing something like I want to reduce AI risks that could kill at least a hundred people, like in a in a single AI catastrophe, it could kill at least hundred people. Already, I think actually that narrows the scope a lot, and, and like now you're overlapping a lot with the existential risk thing. You're missing some existential risk stuff. You're doing some stuff that's not very useful for existential risk stuff. Mm -hmm. Like you're overlapping quite a bit. But like AI in general, like it's just it's just the biggest story that's going on, which right. means not only that it's going to have the biggest deal, like specific effect, but also it's going to like touch on everything else. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be a lot of other problems that just don't connect very much. So for example, the way to deal with like bias and fairness type stuff, um, I mean, there's lots of ways, but it could, so one problem is like toxic speech from- Right, like polarization, AI. echo chamber type stuff, yeah. recommender algorithms. Yeah. And there are some ways this does connect to the AI eccentric thing, or like some ways that the same intervention is helpful for both. Um, so I, th I think like a key thing is that isn't the key pathway. Like that issue itself isn't the key way that there could be AI takeover or everyone dies or something, I think. Um, something vaguely related could be maybe like AI persuasion tools, um, but, mm -hmm. it, but it's a bit different. Uh, but there's interventions that could be helpful for both. So one thing that's helpful for both is interpretability. Mm. At the moment, we have these systems that are like, very, very, very large. There's like a lot of numbers. There's all, there's all these numbers in there. Right. And we're like, what's going on? There's like this big neural net and, and there's like all these like nodes kind of like neurons and they're all connected to each other with certain weights. And we don't really know how it works or what it's doing. We just know like we train it on a crap load of data with a crap load of parameters and then it ends up producing amazing things and just yeah. like build a website for you or whatever. And we're like, well, okay. <laughs> um, and if, if we like actually understood it, it will, mo it will both help us um, avoid it doing toxic speech or whatever or misinformation and help us avoid it doing an AI takeover. So there are some mm. shared goals that our communities can have. So the sort of like AI like ethics and fairness and type mm. people um, and the um, and the like AI central risk type people. Some shared goals. There's also like some things that each community will be doing that the other one isn't interested in. Uh, and I, I think there's like a moderate difference made by that. But then also in, in terms of the question of, and I can give more examples if you want, but sure. I'll, I'll leave it at that yep. for now. And, and similarly with like great power conflict and stuff. Yep. So like, um, like one thing that it like, one way great power conflict connects to AI is like the chance that there's some sort of like crash program during a great power conflict mm -hmm. to do AI development in a way that like cuts a bunch of corners and yep. is pretty risky. That's a thing that you wouldn't think to work on necessarily if you're working on great power conflict for other reasons. Yep. But still work to just like reduce the chance in general is helpful for both goals. Yep. Um, so there's a crap load left to be done that the other people won't be working on, uh, I claim. Also, those fields just aren't that huge anyway. So like, yeah. Then in terms of how much interface with them, I think there should be there. I think it's a bigger deal or something. I, I think these other fields are more important in terms of like we should talk to them a bunch and there's a whole bunch that they mm -hmm. know that we should like try to gain from them. And there's a whole bunch of ways in which they can be allies for specific things. I think that's a bigger deal than the extent to which they themselves solve the risk. So I think mm -hmm. they can be like very helpful for us when we are trying to solve the risk. We being like the AI, the, the sort of existential risk focused AI governance community. Um, everything in the intermediate goal survey, for example, uh, there are like probably at least 30 people and probably way more who know a lot more than me about that specific thing. Got it. Yeah. And they by themselves won't action that thing in exactly the way I'd want, or at least not enough. Like maybe they would, but still that tiny, like this subfield of academia is like three people or something. I'd want it to be 20. Yep. Um, but still I should absolutely talk to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in, in me and my team's work, we do a fair bit of like talking to like just general mainstream experts um, without that having to imply that these people are like already doing exactly what we want them to do. But they're great resources and allies. 
So maybe if I can uh, try to spell out what seem to me to be some implications here, uh, and then you can uh, maybe respond to see if you like agree or disagree. Um, but I'm maybe imagining uh, a listener or, for example, a, a typical person who um, just happens to have a particular interest in uh, a field that doesn't uh, slot in neatly uh, mm -hmm. with AI X-Risk. For example, I could imagine somebody has just done their master's thesis on um, you know, Facebook recommendation algorithms and uh, things there, but is open to, I think, a lot of like what you said in this episode. Um, maybe a like first step or like first bit of advice here would be um, in this field that you like seem to have like already like specialized in, consider what might specific implications for uh, AI X risk be, uh, then see how that would like change your priorities or like within that field, uh, like what you would work on. And then also try to see, you know, what lessons could the community that you've already had like a lot of exposure and a lot mm -hmm. of like knowledge from have to share or like have to bring to the more effective altruist or more uh, AI express community. Uh, and then like act as a node uh, or something maybe mm -hmm. to like help make sure that that like knowledge like also flows through. Is that about right? As like a, I guess like a mm -hmm. more of a different pathway than the like, um, you know, come join us in our cave uh, framing that you had mm -hmm. like maybe at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, the cave was the straw man. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we're like, um, you know, one of those little bits in a honeycomb or something, and we want to be like kind of connected to the other fields. Um, I don't know, B terms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not a cheese expert, you're not a lawyer. You're not a I'm very sorry, everyone. <laughs> and the field touches on all of these things, um, evidently. So uh, there are cases in which someone is working on a thing that isn't what I would like put a sort of like um, you know, like a, a freshly generated um, median human. Uh, I wouldn't like allocate this freshly generated median human to their area, but the person's working in that area, they have expertise in that area, and they should stay mm. either to do the subset of work in that area that is really helpful for X risk, um, or to do the sort of like building a bridge, either like distilling the ideas from that area and like the, the, the generalizable lessons for the existential risk people or like um, helping connect people with experts there or like helping like spread X risk um, concerns and like understandings with, with these communities um, and vice versa, like sharing their understandings with the X risk community. I think though, a lot of people have that kind of thought in an unwarranted way. Mm. So like the extreme version of that is like an undergrad mm. um, has done like, uh, like half their course was like general computer science and half their course was like some specific area and they're now like, well, now I've got expertise on this. Um, and sure, like it doesn't really connect to existential risk, but like there's the subset that's like kind of good. Um, and I would say that they're really underestimating how little expertise they currently have or like how easy it is to like get another expertise in, in the mm -hmm. way that they have so far. If like probably within, I mean, within three years, they can presumably get up to speed on the other thing, um, but probably faster if they choose another area and they like really, really focus and they like choose, get the best bits. Um, and there's a good chance that like, I think a lot of people underestimate how much of a fit they would be for things they haven't tried yet. Um, yeah. Like th they're like, well, I've tried this one thing and I am a fit for it. Therefore, I must have a comparative advantage for this one thing. But it might be there's like a bunch of other things you'd also be good at. Um, so generally be wary of like narrowing your search and being like, well, like here's path dependency. And like I'm, I'm here already. Um, the sort of personal fit thing applies the most to people who are like 50 years old and they like really are damn sure. good at something. Yeah. And they're like a field leader. Um, so something like think about how much your personal fit for this area is actually stronger than your personal fit for other areas would be an expectation. Mm. If you like tried a bunch of things for three months to like find the one that works 
or you like do your second best, like your best guess as to the actually best thing for you for two years and like spend that time getting up speed. Compare how much the difference in your personal fit is to how big the difference in the like marginal impact in these areas in theory is. Um, and if you're on something on the edge, like it's just not quite the best thing for X risk, but it's pretty close, then like fine, stick with that probably. But a lot of areas wouldn't be. Um, yeah. A different way of putting this, and then I'll stop, is um, trying both forward chaining and backward chaining in the sense of like both thinking like, okay, here I am. Here's the good work that I could do from my position that maybe connects X central risk. But then also trying a lens of like, okay, if I was, if I, if I'm just thinking like, how do we solve this problem? What are the avenues for solving that problem? And which of those avenues can I maybe try, in order to like try kind of starting with the blank page and don't just feel locked into what you currently are. Yeah, there are maybe like two things I want to disentangle, and uh, yeah, maybe the first thing here is just to like really take your point, which is like, um, I think especially undergraduates, but like I think even like whatever, like 20-somethings, like really, including myself here, like really overestimate, um, you know, how big path dependency or how big like sunk cost is, especially, you know, in comparison to like how new and like in need of like uh, people this like AIX risk field is. Uh, so I definitely like really take that point and like really wanting people to like ask and like question whether it isn't just best to like switch completely. Mm. Um, I think the second point, which I was like maybe trying to get at more with my like initial framing, um, other than like draw that distinction out between like, is this really the best thing to like specialize across versus switch completely? is something of like what that switching completely looks like in practice. Um, I can just imagine it is just like really scary to like enter a new field where you know, or you feel like, you know, like literally like nothing in at all and have to like start yeah. from complete scratch, especially if you don't have external support, like a fellowship or an internship or like whatever kind of like around it mm -hmm. um, versus um, more gradually kind of transitioning by saying, look, I have this like some kind of like knowledge here. And there is this like other thing that I like want to move towards or like explore at least like here. So the first thing to do that is to look at the intersection and then gradually move over. I would be curious to see how much of that like more gradual shift between fields you are like open to as opposed to like, mm -hmm. no, like start from first principles, mm -hmm. think through and just like uh, try to see um, if you can like just like switch completely um, and, and mechanisms that like can help support that. Because I think that is like, at least to me, like a real world, like career facing thing that I think like I encountered a bunch mm -hmm. and I can also imagine like other people are uh, encountering a bunch as well. Yeah, I think. I'm skeptical of like do a gradual switch. Mm -hmm. Um I think I like for for various people, for different people, actually stick with what you're doing or or like like stick with a close variant of what you're doing mm -hmm. could be the right answer. Or choose something that's kind of at the middle, but like you've chosen that and like there's a good reason for doing that and you stick with that. Or switch entirely. Yeah. Um but, but I have something in mind, like, um, time is of the essence or something. I think it's very easy for people to be like, like a vaguely related thing is like a lot of people being like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do next. So I guess I'll do a PhD. And I'm like, that's four years. Um, like there's, there's a lot you could do in four years. I, I, I think also people aren't realizing, some people should PhDs, but like they should see it as like a big cost. They should see the time as like very important. Yeah. Um, a related thing is, um, I think a lot of people don't realize just how like sort of young and shallow the field is and therefore how quick one can get to the frontier potentially. Mm -hmm. So the field is young, both in the sense of like how long it's been going and also in terms of like the average age. And it's shallow in the sense of like, you know, our expertise doesn't run that deep. Most of our analyses don't run that deep. And we're trying to cover a lot of things without that many people. Mm. Um, so yeah, like 
I think a fair few people can get to the frontier of some piece of it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and the gradual thing I think would often be like, just, it is like, like it would be because it's scary to try yeah. to do things all at once or because they think they can't, but you can check, like you, you can, you can keep doing your job. You, you don't have to, you don't have to just like quit your job and like without any source of income, just like try to figure it out yourself. You can like keep doing your job and then just like apply to a lot of things and like mm. go to conferences and start reading things and, and start like trying to figure out what the best path for you might be. And like, try little like weekend tests of things or like try to like slightly shift down your hours at your job, to, like free up a bit of energy um, for doing some other stuff on the side and then eventually get a job. Um, and, and then at that point you hard switch. Mm. You don't have to hard switch into the wilderness. You can mm. like put out a bunch of feelers and then like when you're ready, hard switch into like a safe thing. Um, yeah. I, I've got one last question before we can move on, but this is maybe just to help try to concretize mm. a little bit of, of, of what we're saying here is um, imagine that uh, somebody has, you know, kind of assigned three months of their summer in some kind of form of an internship program to explore AIX risk. And they are choosing between either spending those three months working on uh, a question that is on like Michael Ayers here, like top 10 questions that I want uh, interns to like generally like work on, as opposed to uh, having done, let's say, a master's thesis on Facebook algorithms or privacy or what have you, spending those three months thinking concretely about the way that my existing master's thesis level of knowledge intersects with AIX risk. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. thing would you generally be more excited um, to, to have people yeah. work on? So it, it really depends what the background was. I think with recommendation algorithms, like that's close enough that there's a good chance they should do that. But So basically what I want to say is something like, if you filter down to the top 10 cause areas, choose among them based on personal fit. If you filter down to the top 50, like broad, or maybe top 30 or something, broad goals for AI governance, choose among them based on personal fit, mostly, like your first heuristic of personal fit. Um, don't though, start from where you are without looking at the top 30 or whatever, or without thinking about the top 30, and then be like, what's like, what looks like, what, what can I, move one step in an X risk direction. Cause there's a good chance that that is just like way less. There's a good chance that that's just like way less valuable. Um, so don't like sort of like narrowly mimic what it would look like to do an X risk version of your current thing. Mm. If an X risk version of your current thing seems like it would be in the top 30 for someone to do and you have a fit for it, go for it. Um, also don't assume that you have a way better fit for that than for everything else on the list without in some sense checking. So basically mm. I want people to like at least temporarily, like at, at least for 15 minutes, imagine, okay, let's say I am gonna switch or like, let's say I was starting from scratch. What would I then do? Starting from scratch with like my current expertise, but like, let, let's say my current projects all like stop and I've got all the skills and knowledge I have, but now I'm like choosing from scratch, what's the best thing to do with an eye to like working backwards from what the field really needs. And it might be that then it turns out that what's on your list is the thing that was in front of you to begin with or something kind of like it. But like, don't don't privilege that hypothesis. Like, don't just like treat that. Don't, a lot of people seem to focus on the binary of like, like almost as if like, is it, can I be justified in doing this thing? Um, or do I need to like do something totally else or whatever? Mm. And instead I want to be like, well, let's actually just like start like blank page. Mm. Think about the, how the problem works. What are your options? Nice. Which of these options might fit you? So we've talked a bunch um, not just throughout the interview, but especially in this like latter section um, about what a useful career here looks like. Um, I'm curious if there are just other resources that listeners might uh, be able to use in order to learn more about AI governance or to get more involved here. Like what are your, yeah, like top links and recommendations? 
Yeah, uh, great question. Um, so I, there's a lot of things, uh, but I think my like guess as to the right top list and order um, of like do this one and then that one would be in general the most important century blog post series by Holden Konofsky, um, which kind of goes through the case of just like focusing on existential risk at all and also AI risk, uh, and I think does a pretty good job of like explaining why to care about this and also framing the issue in a useful way. Then I would move on to um, the long-termist AI governance landscape, uh, a basic overview, which is an EA forum post uh, that is, is m much faster to get through than the whole most important century thing. And it's focused on just like, what kind of work is there to do here? So like mm -hmm. mapping out the uh, spectrum from like very strategy level research to very like concrete intervention research um, and, and the various things that feed into that, like field building and, and what orgs are working on this, et cetera. Then, um, uh, my own work, uh, the survey on intermediate goals and AI governance. Um, there is, even if you've listened to all these many, many hours, there is still <laughs> significantly more content in that uh, survey report. Um, hopefully on my list would also be this episode, but that is somewhat redundant to the listeners specifically. You guys are way ahead. Good job. Um, <laughs> but share it with other people. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. Like blast this into everyone's brains. Um, then a like much longer thing is the AI governance curriculum from the AGA safety fundamentals program. So this is a program. It, 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 in my opinion, it's probably the single best sort of like structured reading list. Um, in this field, it like goes through in a nice logical order with nice curations of really good things, and it has like exercises along the way as well. Yeah, and we we, we should say we've spoken to Doey, who's one of the co-founders of the group running this Blue Dot Impact, about what setting up that course were, was like, and, yeah, and what the value is. And that episode is good as well, but not one of my top recommendations for AI governance resources. <laughs> Sorry, Doey. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's great, especially if you can do it like actually as a course with like a group and a facilitator and stuff. But um, like even even just by yourself, you can work through the reading list. Also, most of these resources I mentioned are available in audio form. Um, there's uh, mm. we, we uh, you can add links in the show note to that. It's basically the nonlinear library podcast has some of this, and there's also yeah. there's also a less strong curated podcast mm -hmm. and the EA forum narration yeah. podcast. Uh, and also Holden Cold Takes Audio yes. covers yeah. Holden's things. Um, and then finally, um, there's just like a collection that someone at the Center for Governance AI made of like just a big bunch of AI governance resources, um, which is also useful, but like only put that at the end and like use it to like dip into whatever's relevant to you specifically. The other ones are like how to get oriented to the space as a whole. Meanwhile, though, as I like mentioned many times in the previous episode we have, um, apply to things like it depends mm. on you specifically but like if you if you want to be in this field and you aren't yet in this field like i suggest applying for a bunch of like jobs and internships and like programs and things like that as you go uh -huh. don't lean just on reading uh -huh. um also you can apply for grants if there's ways that can help you and remind me quickly where people can find both job openings and places to apply for grants um yeah so job openings the eighty thousand hours job board is one great place mm -hmm. um there's also something called the ea opportunities board which has like sort of lower, uh, like entry level type yep. things. Um, there's also like a bunch of newsletters, uh, like the Center for the Governance of AI newsletter, I think has um, job openings sometimes, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Um, mm -hmm. Also Rethink Priorities uh, is decently often hiring for AI governancey things. Um, we don't, yeah, uh, so you can go to like careers at Rethink Priorities and like see if there's any AI governance stuff mm -hmm. available. That, that's just obviously just one specific thing, but it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's my baby. Nice. Um, so I'll mention that one. Um, and then 
The other one's grants. Yeah, so I have a list of EA funding opportunities on the Effective Altruism Forum that like has a list of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can like dive through that. And many of them are relevant to AI governance people. This include like if you want a scholarship to do a master's in some relevant way, or like if you need like three months off to self-study cool. and mm-hmm. um, get up to speed. Nice. And we will link to all those things. Okay, let's do some final questions. We've kind of covered recommended uh, reading. So I will ask you, uh, where can people find rethinks relevant work Mm -hmm. um so you can't yet find much of it Mm -hmm. um but if you go on rethink priorities website and then the research page and then the long-termism page you can find our um our public outputs so far are there uh also on the effective altruism forum you can like subscribe to the you you can go to the rethink priorities tab tag and subscribe and then you like Mm -hmm. get notified when there's a new rethink thing although rethink's pretty big so like there's there's a lot of teams doing different stuff not just my team. Um, th- we also have a newsletter, uh, mm-hmm. so you can sign up to that and um, be notified as things come out. A lot of the work we do is sensitive in some way, um, mm-hmm. and also just a lot of it more mundanely as in progress rather than sure. finished. Um, therefore, um, there's a lot of juicy, interesting stuff that isn't yet um, out into the public. But this will increasingly be the case. So maybe as this is released, a few more things will be out, which will be nice. Uh, unfortunately, this field has a lot of non-public work, which I, th- I think mm-hmm. is appropriate. Um, well, so it's not all appropriate. Some people are just being perfectionist and aren't like posting things when they should post things, in my opinion. Um, but some of it's appropriate because of like various sensitivity stuff. This means that um, this makes getting up to speed harder, mm. and is why I like why I'm very happy that like I made that survey report finally, like me and my co-author, because um, I think that like helps bring some of the non-public stuff into a nice distilled form for the public. But it, like a, a result of this is that if you really want to get into the field, it's like pretty helpful to also like have personal connections or go to conferences or get a job or an internship or something um it's like harder to just from online sure get up to speed but you still a bunch of great stuff the ones i mentioned before okay nice and final question is how can people find you and get in touch yep um so finding my work uh the best thing to do is probably go to um michael a on the ea forum Mm -hmm. um and that has all of my like posts, uh, both well, my, all my public things. Again, yeah. yeah, there's like I've got a bunch of docs that I, I you know, um, but either not quite finished or like a bit sensitive. Uh, but all the posts are there. You can, and then like finding my work is also kind of finding my team's work because like a lot of my work sure. is just like make it all go well. So like <laughs> the prior answer applies here too. Great. Um, and then getting in touch, um, you could send me a message on the EA forum, and I like. Uh, will try to reply if and when I have time. Um, yes. But I am keen for people to get into this field. So I'll probably usually reply at least with some, like at least with a few links or whatever. Okay, Michael Ed, thank you very much. Cool, thank you. That was Michael Ed on reducing existential risk from advanced AI. If you found this podcast valuable in some way, uh, then probably the most effective way to help is to write an honest review wherever you're listening to this. We'd really appreciate that. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. We are at idea. I also mentioned that we still have a feedback form on our website, which you'll receive a free book for filling out. Okay, as always, a big thanks to our producer, Jason, for editing these episodes, and thank you very much for listening.